of all Champions League goalkeepers I've seen, and Carrius included, what about the fella in the goal for Villarreal? Carrius included is the worst thing any Liverpool <laughs> fan can say. That's the harshest. Well, Carrius was hopeless, wasn't he? OTB AM, live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. If there's anything you want to get off your chest, you can tweet us at Off The Ball. Anything you want myself and Jer to get stuck into. Jer, how are you? Very well, on. Very well. What's the crack? What piqued your interest over the course of the weekend? You... Uh, well, most of them are very, 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 very good, but just not quite good enough. Um, it's one of those things that they're going to have a lot of regrets for. It, like, It's definitely it's right there in the pantheon of moral victories that Munster used to have in European games. And I don't know, you know, like they, they're, they are up against the World Rugby Player of the Year and Entomac and the defending champions who are getting good and they've put them to the absolute pin of their collar and they've had two kicks to win it. Granted, they're like moonshots, but I don't know how, I don't know how they recover emotionally from that. Like, maybe it's good that that's the end of the Van Grand era and they can look forward now with this to build on and it's a completely different backroom team who are coming in to be different voices. And obviously Rountree isn't a different voice, but Mike Prendergast will be and Leamy will be and whoever else they add in will be like able to come in and speak objectively about that game because I suspect it would be very difficult for the team to speak objectively about it just from a, oh my God, look how close we were. And, you know, if Omani hadn't got injured, if uh, some of the penalties had gone over, if the drop goal had gone over, a lot of ifs, ands and buts, but ultimately they're out. A little bit of FOMO on Saturday, not going to lie, watching the game in Cork as opposed to not being in the Aviva Stadium watching it. This was the sporting event of the weekend. This was like one of these really unique... Moments, not quite on the level of Leinster against Munster and Croke Park, obviously, but something that will carry with it that uniqueness down through the years, you'd imagine, because, you know, whether it's people who are saying, yeah, I paid 10 euro for a ticket in the year 2022. We got bus for free up to Dublin. The place was just a sea of red. There was this amazing rendition of all the different songs throughout the 100 yeah. odd minutes plus. Like, I, th- I think it'll just go down as just one of these great Irish sporting events. Yeah, and like it has also denied us another one. Yeah. Because the semi final would have been amazing. I think if Munster had gone into that semi final fresh off a victory over Toulouse, they would have gone in with some confidence, knowing full well what they know intimately about the, the Leinster team that they would be facing. So, um, yeah, and look, I, I think we have been very critical on this show and on uh, all of our platforms of the Munster hierarchy over the recent seasons. They obviously did this really well, they managed that whole situation brilliantly. From the moment they knew that the game wasn't going to be in Tomen because of the Ed Sheeran concerts, which I was like, you know, I, I think we there was massive outcry about that, but it was all nonsense because Munster have a debt they need to service. This is just a, a strange concatenation of events because of COVID and because of the, the different tournament. Like this is going to happen at some stage when you own a massive um, stadium and you need to pay it back. So once that happened, they put in plan a place to make the Aviva fortress, and it was genuinely fortress and like. Stuff like that really, really matters in the long run. That you're able to get your crowd, you're able to mobilise them, and you know I, I can't, I can't imagine those scenes are going to hurt when you're making calls to try and convince other coaches to join that backroom team and other players to join the team. Yeah, and I'd imagine Damian Diolande is looking around, thinking to himself, "God, I wish I had another season of this." Like, what was the, 
was it Brian O'Driscoll who had the figure last week or was it somebody had the figure anyway about Dale Andy and the amount of times he's actually played in front of a, a home crowd at Thomond and it's in single digits and that's going to be something and I, like I'm just picking him because he's one of the most high profile signings they've made and he's obviously in the departure lounge in the off season this year like there, there is a sense that there is a, a, a bit of missing out on his side of things but on the flip side as you say trying to attract new talent to come to the province if that's what they want to do then um, they're not going to shirk at the possibility of, of those sort of days because it'll be just like that in a packed-out Thoman next season. Or potentially, at the end of this season, and I know it may not be a Thoman, but they may be you know, looking at a, a situation where it could be a URC final against uh, a certain other Irish province. I know they had to play Leinster in the regular season before things wrap up, but there is this kind of feeling that there might be momentum building. It could be just a once-off, as you say. The next couple of weeks are going to be very oh. interesting. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what they can take from that? Um, do they take it and think, right, well, that's our brilliant performance for the year out of the way? Or are they like, look, we can do that next week as well. There's no reason. There's no reason why we can't do that again over the course of the season. I mean, you'd, you'd like to think from Irish rugby's perspective, it would be brilliant if Leinster could win in Europe and Munster could win the domestic competition. That would be kind of the ideal scenario where that rivalry, where Leinster lose a game and it's not the, um, the European one, that they get their fifth star. And that Munster feel like they're going into next year much closer to Leinster than we had thought previously. Now, here's the thing. That might just have been a one-off performance. That might just have been one of those backs-to-the-wall, incredible, emotional things. And they're actually miles away from Leinster still. We don't know because um, that's the way rugby works, really. Mm. Leinster in the first half as well. A couple of hours later probably show that they're absolutely the standard bearer in this I, like, I personally wouldn't mind to see uh, a Leinster-Ronan O'Gara match-up in the final in this thing as well, which is a, a live possibility at this point. We are going to come back to Munster very shortly. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. In particular, uh, the penalty shootout. Was it a, a good way to settle a game? Did you enjoy it? Was it the, the right level of tension? Was Roman Intimac celebrating thing, like he thought he'd won the shootout a little bit prematurely? Actually the best moment on Saturday? I think it was. We'll be getting back into that in the amber in our performance rankings in just a little while. It is 7.35. OTBAM has brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It's time for the Gillette Performance Rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's Performance Rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance was just lacked that intensity. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Every week we're giving away a Gillette Labs shaving kit to be in with a chance of winning. Just let us know who you think should make the performance rankings. Best place to enter is the Off The Ball Instagram page and you'll see the comments box in our story. Let's run you through what we're looking at this morning. We're going to look at the Liverpool-Manchester United bias. GA scheduling, both in the red, that rugby shootout in the amber. I think it's a stone cold green personally, but we'll get to that in a moment. Kerry's depth in the green and the Limerick hurlers forever in green, it seems. Any stopping them uh, over the course of the next little while will be one of the questions we ponder this week and this morning. We'll start off there at the bottom, which is Liverpool-Manchester United bias. It is a bad weekend and was a bad weekend for the duopoly of bias at the near the, the, the upper echelons of the Premier League. At Pep. Guardiola was one of the people who, who really tried to, to hammer home this idea of bias on B in sport yesterday after Manchester City had hammered Newcastle United. He kind of threw this in there after a brilliant win for his team, a win that moved him into a pretty comfortable position, I think it's fair to say, in the race for the Premier League title. He said, 
everybody in this country, the media and everyone, supports Liverpool, of course, because Liverpool has an incredible history behind them in European competition. Not in the Premier League, because they have won one in 30 years, but it's not a problem at all. The situation is what it is. Not happy whatsoever about, uh, I guess, the, the certain comfort that people feel in seeing Liverpool do well. And he feels that Manchester City winning the Premier League title, as they've come so close to doing now as a result of yesterday, uh, is something that's going to be... That doesn't sit well with a lot of people out there. It kind of echoes what Sergio Aguero said recently. Yeah, he said in England, all the journalists, everybody, all the TV channels, they're all Manchester United supporters. Everybody. And I guess, you know, they're not wrong in terms of what they say. There's obviously a massive fan base for both of these clubs. And it's quite interesting that this is... This mask sometimes slips with Pep Guardiola a little bit. This, this idea that he is kind of the outsider, that his Manchester City team kind of still feel a little bit like the outsiders in all of this, as if they're upsetting the apple cart somewhat when they go and win trophies. Yeah. It's interesting that Pep feels this way given that he came through the Barcelona system and had his greatest period of success at Barcelona when he had the best team in the world and then went to Bayern Munich who are the only team in Germany when it comes to TV coverage and uh, globalisation and okay, so obviously Dortmund have occasionally registered little blips, little tiny little um, uh, blips on the seismograph, is that what it is? Whatever it is. Um, uh, this is weird. I think this is a, a weird paranoia that uh, Pep has, but I think it probably speaks to the fact that they know that they're there because of the money that is coming from the Gulf. And like, it's not about tradition. It's not a, something that they had this incredible crop of youngsters come through, despite having the greatest academy that we've ever heard of. Um, the last decade we've been hearing again and again and again how great their academy is. It's the best in the world. And, and you know, maybe there are a couple of other players that that bench was obviously full of um, of kids the other night. And, you know, you, again, raise questions about the, the building of the squad. But, I, like, what's he trying to say here? We can't get no love for the billion euros that we spent and the financial fair play regulations that we managed to bend but not break according to how the... Uh, court case ended up but the rest of the world thinks we did break them like is it like is he aware of the fact that everybody thinks they've just bought a success mm. is that what's going on like I, I wonder is is that CV Pep Guardiola CV actually the reason why he feels like this that he is used to being you know part of the establishment Barcelona Bayern Munich the the sort of the establishment when it comes to Spanish football or German football and Manchester City is to a certain extent anti-establishment at this point that Liverpool and Manchester United and to a lesser extent, Arsenal will be very much seen as, as the establishment of English football. I wonder, I wonder, is that actually sort of just his, his muscle memory speaking here when he comes out with things like this? I mean, it, it's accurate, right? The, the vast majority of um, historic global fans and the biggest supported clubs in England are Liverpool and Manchester United because they were... I mean, you couldn't say that Manchester United are the most supported because they were the most successful. When Manchester United were going through their drought, they were still massively supported. Like, uh, and I think a lot of it probably goes back to the response that the club had to the Munich air disaster and how that just won people over for generations to come. Like, they have black in their kits as part of that. And I think, um, you know, that, that made a lot of people feel emotionally bound to them. And likewise, like, Liverpool have risen from a city that has been forgotten politically and socially and economically uh, for a long period of time and managed to build brilliant football teams. And they were football teams that were built like on relative shoestrings or through the academy. And it's just different from going around the world and buying the best players and saying, 
you know, we are... Pretty good record of taking on the big two and getting points off them. I mean, they've got uh, like two, two draws against Liverpool. They've got two wins against Manchester City. I know Conte wasn't there for, for all of those games. But Klopp, as we've seen so many times in the past, doesn't take these sort of situations very well whatsoever. It's part of what makes him a great manager. And it's, I guess, a symptom of being a very, very successful manager is that when you're not successful within 90 minutes or you don't get a win that you feel like you deserve to get you're probably not going to be overly happy with it. And afterwards, he said, I'm sorry, uh, I'm the wrong person for that when he was asked about uh, Tottenham. I don't like this kind of football, but that's my personal problem. I think they're world-class, and I think they should do more for the game. I think they had 36 38% possession, but it's my problem. I cannot coach it, so that's why I cannot do it. So yes, world-class players block all the balls, really difficult. Atletico Madrid is doing it. Fine, they won, whatever. Fine, absolutely fine. I just can't. I respect everything they do but it's not me. <laughs> uh, I respect everything they do, but uh, delete everything before the word but. This is like, I mean, the, the Atletico dig. Is that still March 2020 speaking there when we all thought Klopp was just being a little bit grumpy because, you know, COVID was about to engulf our entire world for a little while. But actually it's this, this taste he has in his mouth when his plan just gets swallowed up a little bit by a Simeone or a Conte. Like for me, two absolutely fantastic managers. And like, I mean, if, if you want to like compare ahead of Thursday night to the two North London approaches to Liverpool this season, Liverpool beat Arsenal 6-0 and they managed to, what, a two-all draw and a one-all draw against Tottenham both times. Like I think you'd pretty much, you'd, you'd know which manager is pretty ha- is, is happier with their outcomes against Liverpool and it's going to be Conte versus Arteta. Whereas I'd say Klopp probably has a lot of nicer things to say about Arteta than Conte. So I think if, if Klopp is complaining about you, you're doing something you're doing something very very right actually. And and so Spurs should do absolutely everything they possibly can to keep Conte. I think I really think going back to Pochettino, if that's their consolation prize this summer is is the wrong course of action for them and for the club. I think it's going to make a big difference to them in the future. Like there's a possibility that Antonio Conte is their version of Klopp, and he might be that transformative figure that the club really needs to become title contenders. <clears throat> pardon me. And or European contenders uh, in the long run. Yeah. Uh, the other side of things then, I mean, uh, this is just... Like, was it last week you were saying that we'd gone maybe 10 consecutive weeks in the performance rankings with Manchester United in the red? We, did we get a break last week? What happened last week? I can't remember. But something strange and awful must have happened for, for us to like not have Manchester United in the red last week. But uh, they are back with a bang, I think it's fair to say. And is this... Like, is this... The, the lowest of the low? Have, have we asked this question multiple times and have we always come to the conclusion that yes, this is the lowest of the low and this is very much the case again this morning because like they are now going to no. end up with... No. Well, uh, no, sorry. No, this, this isn't... No. Go ahead, I go ahead. Go, uh, certainly, I've, I've never come to the conclusion this is the lowest of the low because it can always get worse. No, but I mean, to I this point, to this point, I mean, it's always been the lowest of the low. It's, it's still on a downward curve. Uh, yeah, so that's not the lowest of the low. That's like, this is a staging post to the bottom. Yeah, where th- okay. This is, this is the slippery slope. The, the lowest so far. mid-slide. It's lowest point so far, right? It's a new, a new low. A new low. Okay, okay, I can settle is for it that. A new low. It's well, it's it, it is go, it is officially now going to be their worst ever return points wise for a Premier, in the Premier League season. League. In the Premier I mean, they League, they got relegated. They got relegated. I know, but know. football only started football. in 1992. Football, football is only a 30 year old sport. Let's not forget. Okay, so, okay. but they have been like so. No, it is not a new low. And actually, like I, I asked the question on our uh, Friday morning show, who's which United will finish higher up the table next season, Manchester or Newcastle. And Colin Bowie told me that it was a joke. I was I was doing it to troll and to be insulting. I am not doing it 
to be a troll or to be insulting. I legitimately think there's a chance that Newcastle finish ahead of Manchester United next season. How quickly can Eric Ten Hag turn this around? Like, look at the playing stock that he has. He's going to be he's going to be working with McTominay and Tellez and Shaw. Like, is he is he actually going to be able to turn these players into players who can compete against Spurs and Wolves? I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I think that is a, a very different question to can they compete with. Uh, Sean Longstaff and Joe Linton, and I, I like Joe Linton is, is a very, very good player, and is, and is better than maybe some of those Manchester United players you've, you've mentioned there potentially. Um, and I think he's, he's probably what if Ten Hag like doesn't hit the ground running? What if what if he's like you know uh, uh, eighteen months before he gets things going properly? Can you see them being beaten four 0 by a mid-table team? So anybody from West Ham to Leicester to Villa next season. You could. Any of those teams could beat uh, Mediocre on their day at Old Trafford, maybe. That's the new low. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's the situation here, and like, if you want to look at it in a very simplified way, that on Monday night, uh, Ranić stumbled upon, I guess, his best, what he thought was his best formation, some version that was close to maybe his best team, and as a result, they got one of their better performances of the season, and was like, that worked, therefore, let's do it again without realising that Brentford are a different team to Brighton and Hove Albion. And these are two very different challenges and you can't just set up the same way in back-to-back games and, and hope for the same outcome, especially when you come up against a good team and an excellent manager in Graham Potter. Is that not just a simplification of it? Like, I, 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 Granted, it's too simple, but is that not like a huge part of what happens leading into the weekend? And is Eric Ten Hag just not a far superior manager to Ralph Rangnick? Yes, well, look, I think anybody at this stage is going to look superior to Rangnick because of how badly he seems to have managed the situation, how he has been incapable of improving any of the players, how nobody looks better than when he arrived. And, you know, the reports from the training ground, you can see it made manifest on the playing pitch. Like, it's just, it's been a disaster. He has been a disaster as a manager. And so that, I think, is the thing that will give Manchester United fans some hope. But what if Ten Hag's not the man? What if Ten Hag finds this job to be too big? What if he was made perfect for Dutch football and... Like it's not it's not a shoe in that he's going to be successful. It's not a guarantee. More than likely he will be, right? He has a, an excellent CV. He's not young. He knows football very well at this stage. He has plenty of experience, and so uh, he has he definitely has what you would say is the right CV. However, the people who picked Ten Hag are the people who picked Ralph Rannick. Like. That's can't a, forget that. And that's the, that's and the problem here. And that's, that's the uh, framework of a club that is going to be making or have a, a big hand in the signings this summer compared to maybe the framework that we're going to see at Newcastle United, which always looks like... like that, I mean, like that... I, I, by the way, I'm arguing the point here that Manchester United are going to finish ahead of Newcastle United. This is not like a big leap for me to be trying to rush to the defence on that point. I do think you're getting ahead of yourself just a little bit on that. Like, I, I thought the question on Friday was who's going to win a Premier League title first? No, no. Uh, like, who's going to... I mean, no. Like I, I can see, I can sorry. Uh, who who will compete first for a title from these two clubs next? Yeah, I can see that being Newcastle as well. But I think Newcastle are going to finish ahead of of Man United next season. Interesting. Well, let, let's wait and see how the summer goes, right? I mean, can Ten Hag make ten signings in the summer? 
like he probably needs to, he probably needs to sell ten players, and as a result of that, maybe he'll be allowed to to, to sign ten players. But he would need to have a, a good bit of that lined up already. You'd have to say. And like one of the inter- one of the, one of my favourite statistics actually was a Jack Pitbrook in the Athletic who said that Manchester United will finish at least twenty points behind the eighty-one point standard that Jose Mourinho set in twenty seventeen eighteen. So they're twenty points worse off than Jose's Manchester United peak, which wasn't much of a peak at all. Yeah, with Jose Mourinho as a real manager, Ralph Rannick was a glorified scout. Like, uh, this is King Ralph territory where the entire royal family gets electrocuted and John Goodman ends up as the king. Uh, it's the premise for a movie that I've never seen, but was the one on every um, video trailer that we had in the <laughs> 80s. And like, this is, that's what happened. Ralph Rannick was King Ralph. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. Like, we thought that we were kind of like free... Uh, or this story was free from us and uh, everybody really but it, it just gets more and more interesting I, like it, it absolutely is a, another staging post towards the bottom 4-0 to Brighton surely surely will be close to the Nadir like I'm not saying it is no I mean they could be they could be relegation candidates next year we don't know like surely, they could be surely not what's stopping them money Performed at the moment so money. bad with, with the wage bill dictates where you where you should finish in the table and Manchester United are a massive outlier in terms of their wage bill versus Const, constant outliers always the exception to the rule when it comes to this look yeah, I, but sure that will, uh, that will, can revolutionise this right? Yeah. he can he can have them fit he can have them physically ready he can have them tactically and technically, technically prepared for games and that would be a quantum leap forward sure okay but you're telling me that Harry Maguire and Scott McTominay uh are the backbone of a team that is going to finish in the top six next season? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, Bruno might be, but where's Bruno's form gone? Yeah. Is it like, I mean, is, is Bruno even the best Bruno in this Manchester United, Newcastle United uh, kind of head-to-head that you're talking about here is, is probably the, the next debate that we're going to have in the show. A couple of texts in. Compco Productions is not happy with our performance rankings list. Limerick at the top is a joke, they say. They were outplayed by a tip team missing 10 players from last year. How about Manchester City over Stappen? Fair points, all performance rankings in disarray, I think it's fair to say. I'm going to just like blame the performance rankings on you, Gerard, because like, I'm kind of leading the show this morning and it's usually the other person who picks them, even though I may or may not have like picked them. Just tweet at Gerard Gilroy for any complaints you may have. Limerick at the top, a joke. He says, Kenny Dadad says, Pep wants to be loved, but he went to Bayern after they won the Champions League. He left, they won it again. He hasn't won it at City, despite spending vast amounts of money. And then Kenny Dadad also says, Klopp, when he arrived at Liverpool, said he wanted to bring back enjoyment. He says people work all week to be entertained on a Saturday. He has never changed in his attitude, which is fair enough. And I mean, that explains his own style of play, which is very effective as well as being very enjoyable to watch. But I would say that a lot of Tottenham fans would take winning football and getting them back into the top four ahead of... I think that would be the the ultimate end goal, to get their enjoyment, really, at this moment. But it is out of their hands, as we know. And then, most importantly, Dave Coz has been in touch to say, "Okay." We need to get the names of the books behind Jer. Any Greek philosophers? No Greek philosophers. Uh, I can't really look around. That's too wanky. But they are real. I can, I can confirm that they're real as opposed to... Um... Fake. Oh, that's our, as opposed to fake? Yeah. Uh, I didn't... We moved house recently and I didn't organise them. But, um... What are you going to do? Is it like by alphabetical order? Is it colour coding? What, what no, is the organisation? These, these are all by author. Okay. I'd recommend this to anybody who hasn't... It's, um, it's a, an animated story of the Holocaust. What's it called? Very, very uh, mouse. Okay, very good. 
uh, check it out uh, for all of our radio listeners. Uh, GA scheduling is the next thing in our performance rankings <laughs> this morning. Um, so, GA scheduling, yeah. Okay, so, uh, I'm not sure about you, Jaron. I'm not sure how much of this uh, you saw over the course of the weekend, but we were having this kind of conversation on Friday. I was accused of being, like, elitist towards Leitrim, I think, by Adrian on Friday, which was an interesting enough uh, argument, um, that this kind of build-up and this sort of early section of the championship, particularly in football, has just been uh, a little bit underwhelming, I guess, the... We, we knew that the schedule was a bit light at the weekend, but it kind of feels like this is a common theme that's going to pop up again and again and again. And like, I mean, I think we need to get over the fact that we're having the championship early in the year and the fact that it is going to overlap with other sports. But I do think maybe the GEA and the schedule could be a little bit better to get the best out of themselves, to at least give them the best opportunity to compete with the other sports. And one of those ways maybe to actually have the schedule on a week-to-week basis just a little bit better than it is. And I think we're running into a little bit of a, a scheduling cock-up this weekend. Uh, like th- These things could change, I'm sure, but it does look like the fixture list this weekend. Saturday at 7 o'clock, we're going to have Dublin against Kilkenny in the hurling. And then on Sunday, you've got a raft of fixtures. You've got Waterford against Cork and Clare against Limerick. That's a 2 o'clock game and a 4 o'clock game. But essentially, at the same time, you've got the Leinster semi-finals taking place in Croke Park. And at 4 o'clock as well, you've got Monaghan against Derry. Like, all those games, especially Monaghan against Derry, are games that you want to watch, and it's clashing with the hurling. Granted, you'll be able to watch it on the BBC, and one will be on RTE, I suspect. But I just think, maybe looking at that schedule, is, is there a better constellation of fixtures there where you could say, let's move a couple of these to the Saturday, to the Saturday afternoon, to maybe the 5 o'clock on the Saturday, Monaghan Saturday, against Derry? Saturday, 3 o'clock? Or Saturday, that 3 o'clock. It, it feels like that there could be, like, two windows there that, that could be used a little bit better. Like, even Limerick... 3, like, 5 and 7? Yeah, I, I, I think so. And like Limerick against Tip in the football is at least going to be a contest. That's Saturday at 7 o'clock. I'd watch that if that was on at 5 o'clock. What you have is, is Leash Galway and Hurling at 5 o'clock and Westmead against Wexford at half past 6. We will have the under-20 uh, football final. But it feels like the conversation we were having two weeks ago about the double header of Munster Hurling games. Sorry, it was a Leinster game, a Leinster game and, a, and a Munster game at the Hurling two Sundays ago clashing with Tyrone Derry, which was a brilliant football game, it feels like we're sleepwalking into that situation once again this weekend, as if there isn't this overarching controller to say, listen, this is one organisation, and there are a lot of other sports on at the moment that are available to people, and that will just distract people from watching GEA at the moment. Should we be doing this a little bit better and move the fixtures around to ensure that we give ourselves the best opportunity to get exposure? Okay, so let's say the answer to that is yes, right? And let's say everybody agrees that the answer to that is yes. What, how would you fix this weekend coming, for example? Well, as you say, the 3 o'clock and the 5 o'clock situation on Saturday, I'd fill those with better games. So Monaghan against Derry, I'd move that to the 5 o'clock game on Saturday. And then I would take one of those Leinster Championship games and move them to the 3 o'clock on the Saturday. And yes, not Croke Park. Fair enough if you want to put the dubs in Croke Park and you're allied to that post-COVID that you need to get the dubs playing in Croke Park and Dublin Mead has to be on, on Saturday in Croke Park. Like, put, it doesn't. Put, it doesn't. We know it doesn't. Put, it, the fi- you, put the under-20 final as a curtain raiser in Croke Park on, on Sunday and then move Kildare Westmead out of there. Play that in Tullamore well, at, on Saturday well, at 3 o'clock. And all of a sudden uh, then you've got could, like a... Could, a, that be the, could that be the curtain raiser? Could Kildare be... Could that be the curtain raiser to the Kildare game? So you'd actually end up with a big crowd. 
Yes, sorry. Uh, sorry, that would make no sense to separate the, the Kildare people from one another. I just totally forgot the Kildare were in that game. That's exactly what you would do. Oh, yeah. you, put, you put Kildare, yeah. Kildare as the 5 o'clock game on Saturday with the under-20s as, as your 3 o'clock curtain raiser at the same venue and then 3 o'clock Monaghan Derry. Like that, that would be a better situation than the one we have. Like, like we are nitpicking here. We are going to be able to, to see the highlights of these games, but we're not going to be able to see the, the, the full availability of these games, it seems, because of the way it's set up. And, like... It kind of feels like we're approaching this point, or we're, we're at this point right now, especially looking at the Galway-Leitrim result yesterday, where it's like, okay, limber up for the annual conversation around how the provincial championships are crap. You know, this, this deja vu moment of, let's have this conversation again. But we're actually not going to do that. And I think that the provincial championships have arrived at this point where it's got worse than before, and the provincial championships are being treated with the worst possible thing that any sporting organisation can be treated with, which is just pure apathy. I don't think there's even but, a, any appetite out there right now to have the, the provincial championships a broken conversation. Well, I think that's probably what a large cohort of people want. They want they want us not to care enough about this to to talk about it because uh, we are distracted by the other sports. We were distracted by the monster penalty shootout. We were distracted by the title race in the Premier League. We're going to be distracted by the Champions League final, and by that stage. The, the provincial championships will be over and then everything will get good again. The first round of the qualifiers is going to be excellent because you have Division 2 and Division 1 teams up against each other and then the Ireland quarterfinals, semi-finals and final are going to be absolutely sensational this year because you have teams of a similar standard trying to play attacking football. Largely ignored will be how crap the provincial championships have been. Now, in fairness, Cavan played well against Donegal. They, they made a game of it. Um, Limerick made a game of it against... Claire to the point where it went to penalties and they go through and that's a, a lower division team against a higher division team but the superpowers have still been annihilating other teams like when you think about it Kildare should not be able to beat Louth by that much considering Kildare have just been relegated to division 2 and now they've just been promoted to division 2 so the, the league isn't still anywhere near as strong as it could be for helping teams to get better. And we're going back to the same conversation. The provincial structures are broken. And I think what your your fixtures uh, cock up, as you referred to it this weekend, is serving to do is to highlight that. Like, we're not going to be watching the best games. Maybe they want, I don't know, maybe they want people to go to matches instead of watching games on TV. Maybe that's not by accident. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to know. Like, it, it just kind of feels that there is this resignation that, oh, the... Champions League has been great. The Champions Cup has been great. The hurling is great. Football can't possibly compete with it. And let's just wait till June. That kind of feels like the mood around us. Like, can we not hope for a little bit better? And like, I know that we tried for a little bit better last year when Proposal B went to Congress and got beaten down because these provincial championships are so important. But the reason why we don't have a better provincial championship, not a, the reason why we don't have a better championship right now is because that Galway versus Leitrim fixture yesterday was prioritised. And that's what the GEA decided last year. And it just kind of feels like, what's the point? Like, if that's the sort of level of priorities that we're seeing in the organisation, then it's very, very hard to, to hope for a, a better situation next year when you will still have these clashes and when Gaelic football will still be probably beaten to a pulp by the other better sporting competitions that are happening. Yeah. I mean, we just need to keep talking about it and reminding people that we had the opportunity and we get the opportunity back again in the future. 
the, the opportunity has been taken and next year we'll have a, a shiny new championship won't we where the provincial championship is still uh, front and centre I don't know it's, it's interesting and like it's uh, like this weekend I, I suspect on Sunday afternoon people will be like oh what's going on here why are we why, why are we not um, why is Monaghan Derry not on a, in a window of its own and why is it clashing with the hurling once again but um, I guess we will probably have the same conversation next week so those are uh, the Reds in the performance rankings this morning. In the grandest the penalty shootout, because apparently this was not uh, something that uh, everybody loved. People thought it wasn't the best way to settle a game. Maybe the format maybe didn't go down well with too many people. I thought it was great. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I thought like the novelty of it probably is, the, is the, the fuel for feeling that way, to be honest, because we haven't seen this. We've seen it once before in the competition. It's such a rarity in the sport. I really enjoyed it. I think Munster fans would like really wouldn't have enjoyed it for the whole point of it being unbelievably tense. But like to be in that unbelievably tense position, I think is just a credit to what the format is. I thought it was excellent. Really? Yeah. Really? Would you not have preferred like sudden death, five kickers, you know, five kickers, and then sudden death, and have ultimately seen a prop waddle up trying to kick it over from the twenty-two? That would, that, have been, have been better. that would have been funner, but like, would that not have happened had it not been 6-all? Uh, but there was three kickers nominated. I don't know what happens after the three kickers. Like, so, I think this is the rugby Billy Big Balls getting in their own way again. Oh, oh I'm so smart, I can flip the penalty shootout for you. Like, well, you can't really, mate. You've actually made it confusing to the point where people in the ground didn't know what the rules were because, as you say, like, if it had been... There are penalties from the 22 and everybody has to take one. And it's like, uh, you're going, my go, you're going, my go, you're going, my go. I think we would have got to the point where the original one that we got to when, was it Martin Williams missed one for Cardiff? That, that's my memory of, of that. Uh, and I think that, that would be the type of thing that would be important to try and get back to where there's that sense of jeopardy as opposed to, like Leinster, Munster had their three best kickers on the field at the end and it was all set up for them to win. I don't know, it just, when you have to explain what the penalty shootout is, it feels like it's one step too much. So I can see why it's in amber. Yeah, yeah, like I, I guess it's, you're explaining something that doesn't happen very often. Like it's happened once before, so you're naturally going to have to, to explain it. Um, like I mean, I, I do, I, like, to be honest, I didn't know what the format was going to be. The thing I was looking forward to most was seeing prop forwards being forced into taking a kick, um, but that, that wasn't going to happen. And I thought the way it materialised was pretty cool, and I think, as I said earlier on, Entomac premature celebrations were pretty funny, and like that's a moment that I'll take with me out of Saturday as, as, as a great, great moment. He knew he was going to win that yeah. stage. I think the, the, the moment had passed. Uh, Edward Freeman's been in touch to say Owen showing his carry bias. What about the smaller counties? Wexford had a six-day turnaround before playing Dublin, who got a six-week run-in. Loud also made to play two games in two weeks, while Kildare had a wait. But, yeah, well, like, could he not have just played those Leinster games the weekend just gone, when we had like a very, very light weekend of action, instead of playing them the previous weekend when there was loads of stuff happening? So instead well, of like... to play again next weekend. Yeah, but then you push that back a little while. Like, we're ages away from the provincial finals. The provincial finals aren't until the, the end of this month, or the same weekend as the Champions League final, the Champions Cup final. Like it feels that there are other ways to put I don't know, maybe not. I haven't I haven't gone I haven't dug deep into the week on, week off nature of all of this. But um I'm not I don't think I don't think players mind playing two games uh in successive weeks. That's what you're gonna have to do in the qualifiers really. They're gonna be training those days anyway, like you know, and and uh, loads of teams have used regular games as a stepping book stone to get better so like 
I don't think I don't think that's your carry bias. Your carry bias shows through in loads of other ways, Owen. Speaking of, we move on to the green, and uh, like, is it, is a carry bias to put Kerry in the green? I'm not no. sure. Like, is if it... they don't win the All Ireland from here, it's disappointing. What What do you mean? Go ahead and give give us your hot take. Num- number Number one in the power rankings, uh, despite the fact that Cork set a whole campaign in in motion to try and set them, throw them off course. And despite the fact that David Clifford was, by his own standards, quiet for about half an hour at the weekend, they still won by 10 or 12 points, right? The game was completely over and done. And yet that was like the best performance that Cork could possibly have put out there. And the bench was absolutely stacked. Their bench was Dublin-esque. Like, and I don't mean, I mean, peak Dublin. There was like uh, All-Ireland winners, All-Stars, Football of the Year contenders on the bench coming in as the cavalry, and the first team is playing well. Their backroom team is a Harlem Globetrotters of who's who of coaching and uh, psychology and uh, tactical and technical. Like it's now, it's not never, but it's definitely now. This is Kerry's time. If they blow it from here, they've blown it. Like it's interesting. They're so far ahead. It's inter- so far ahead of everybody else at the moment. <laughs> it's interesting. You could say like a lot of the same things about uh, Dublin last week, especially about like the All Stars coming off the bench. But like, I, I, Kerry depth is a thing we're putting in, into the green here. I don't think Kerry, in an overall sense, are in the green, and I, I, that's not kind of like downplaying Kerry's chances. I think anybody who watched that game on Saturday will know that Kerry were not at their best, and maybe that makes that maybe hammers home your point even more that they won by twelve points without being close to their best. Like, I mean, David Clifford probably should have come away with 1-4, despite the fact that he was marked out of the game and Cork had an excellent game plan for him. Uh, like, the, the reality is that on Saturday there were teams at very different stages of their physical development. And this has been something that's been levelled at the Cork hurlers as well over the last little while, that strength conditioning-wise, they're just not at the level of Limerick, for example. It really feels like Cork are a level below Kerry in that department as well in football. Like, you see... The, um, the forwards that they had at the weekend, especially uh, Sherlock and Carlo Mahoney, I think they scored nine points between them. Absolutely outstanding scores they scored between them. And, and you'd hope that that standard of player would be brought forward by Cork over the next little while, given everything that they can possibly given uh, in terms of SNC, in terms of their preparations, so that they can contend with Kerry, especially in two years' time when they bring Kerry back to Cork again and to try and beat them on that occasion. But for me, there was still a gulf, and that allowed the Kerry depth to show, especially after 50 minutes, when you bring Moran on, and you bring Ganey on, and you bring Paul Murphy on, actual All-Ireland winners, and that completely transforms the game. And I do think that's a really, really positive thing for Kerry, is that they have proven now that they do have a squad that, that can win the All-Irelands. But I don't think, like what you say there, is that, it, like, of course it'd be disappointing if they don't win the All-Irelands. That the same goes for Dublin if they don't win the All-Ireland, and for Mayo and Tyrone. No. Anything who doesn't win the All-Ireland no. will be disappointed. No, but yes, no, they are no, favourites. No, yes, they no. are the best team in the country. I, no, I'm not, a, I, but I don't think they've moved ahead of the pack after the weekend. It. They're miles ahead. They're miles ahead. They're, like, they're, they're very, very, very far ahead. When you, when you consider that, like, we don't, the Dublin defence, like, we're, we're suddenly saying, oh, they've got a defensive structure because Wexford scored four points against them. Like, Wexford are a, a mediocre Division 4 team. They're not a good Division 4 team. They're a mediocre Division 4 team. And we're, like, because they put, put it up to them last year, we can't overrate the performance. So we're going off what we've seen from Dublin. They have no defensive structure just yet. They don't know exactly what their style of play is going to be. Sure. Brian Fenton looked like he was back to football of the year territory, but he was kicking free scores from the 40. Like, it was, it was, their A versus B match will be more difficult for the dubs, right? That was actually local rivals away from home, tight venue, 
Kerry blasted through the Cork Challenge. They, 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 didn't, they, blast the through, they didn't blast through the Cork Challenge. 12 they, points. They didn't blast through the Cork Challenge. for any, Like, points. that is just... They Not a correct analysis points. of how the game went. They, oh, they, 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 got a, they got a stranglehold in the game after 50 minutes when, as I say, two physically separate specimens, uh, like the, the Kerry team and the Cork team, okay. just really showed the, the difference. No, not at all. I, I, they blew them with, up. With, with all due respect, with all, due res- with all due respect, I would listen to Jim McGuinness's analysis over the blasted through analysis. And Jim McGuinness pointed out that Kerry in the first half did still show some of the concerning elements that popped up against Tyrone last year, which is that their attack can come unstuck against the correct defensive plan. Defensively, in the defensive system, I agree with you, Kerry seems to have got really, uh, they've got nailed on this year. They didn't concede, no, they didn't concede a goal chance again at the weekend. And Cork didn't look like coming close to creating a goal chance. We'll be interested to see how, how that goes against a better team. But I think coming up against a stacked defence that have a good plan to stop I mean, Clifford sorry. and to stop their attack. Like, sorry, Clifford, hasn't, struggle Clifford with hadn't got injured last year against Tyrone, they would have won. This whole notion that they came unstuck. Tyrone do have a defensive structure. Tyrone did have a defensive plan in place. And still, David Clifford was, like, meteorically, stratospherically brilliant in that game. So I, I think that, like, Kerry are four... Now, in my book, Kerry are four to five-point favourites against everybody who they play from this point forward. That's, and, that's, and if they lose those games, then it's not just a disappointment that they didn't win the All-Ireland. It's like they've somehow... They've blown it. That's how good they are. They, their, their team is so far ahead of everybody else this year at the moment. I don't think they'll be four to five-point favourites if they're in that semi-final against Dublin. It's Munster against Leinster. Dublin will be at home. I think that that's more one to two point favourites for Kerry, not four to five. Okay. But other, other than that, it's four to five against everybody else. The, the one, like I, 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 like I do by and large agree with your point. Like they're, they're definitely then hammer mail. favourites. Like they beat Galway five or six points. Uh, they, they beat Armagh, Donegal. They beat Donegal. So Monaghan, Monaghan always gives them a game. Well, I think Monaghan might get to three points. But yeah. They're going to beat all those teams. Well, what, what am I missing? What, what would Jerry? be interesting is that what would be interesting is that there will be a twelve week gap between Kerry's two Croke Park appearances, 12 weeks from the league final to an All-Ireland quarter-final. And in that period, they will have played Cork and one of Limerick or Tipperary. There is absolutely a chance that Kerry go into that All-Ireland quarter-final undercooked and there is an opportunity for one of those teams to come through the back door and cause them serious problems. I still think they win, but to cause them serious problems. Tyrone Tyrone are going to cause them serious problems? Well, Derry or Monaghan are going to be in there as well. And that for me is, is... you could make an argument that that actually is, is, is the team that will cause them the most problems, whoever it is from, from Derry or Monaghan. Granted, we were just predicting draws here and we don't know how, how things will go. So, so for me, that, that, that's a slight concern. But they're in the green. The depth really showed at the weekend. Do those people who came off the bench start the next day? I'm not actually sure they do. I think that the, the team is so strong now that they, they are in a Dublin-esque position when it comes to depth. And all is rosy in the yeah. garden. We're yeah. not playing down in the this morning. Uh, last okay. things uh, for this morning is, is Limerick. They're always in the green. I mean, the, a, a strong argument to be made that they shouldn't be anywhere near the green this morning, Jerry. What do you think? Uh, I think um very surprised that Tipperary were ahead at half-time. Very surprised that Tipperary, as good as they were, and then not that surprised in the way that Limerick managed to uh, get a stranglehold in the game in literally the last five minutes. I, I guess that's the sign of the great team. Like, we're never going to talk about this game again, I think, when it comes to writing the story of this great Limerick team. It's, it has become routine for them to beat Tipperary, even though that was the best that Tipperary could have hoped for. Now, as somebody earlier was, there was 10 Tipperary players missing or whatever it is, like a huge amount, absolutely gone. And still, Limerick 
left them in the game. But I think that's it. There's just a touch of complacency about this Limerick team sometimes. And that's fine because they're good enough to always jolt themselves out of it. And that's why I don't think we're ever going to remember this because, you know, when the season is over, we're not going to look back at this as, as any kind of turning point. Um, I think they are gone. And I think that's uh, it's going to be interesting when we get to... I, I do think that the, the Munster final is actually a bit of a distraction and the break and play in previous years has, has been difficult for teams to just get back straight into uh, all Ireland semi-final action for us. So um, let's wait and see. But I, I don't think this has any bearing on anything other than that was a job they needed to do and they did it ruthlessly in the last 15 minutes. Yeah, it definitely seemed that way and to have just the ability to, to turn it on kind of out of nowhere, it seems. I do think that the one uh, legacy point from this is just if Tipperary get their house in order over the course of the, the next year um, and come into come into 2023 with, with a bit more strength, you're kind of looking back at this year's game and last year's game as as a little bit of hashtag narrative going into the Limerick tip thing. Beyond that, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure. Limerick player should be a good one this weekend uh, and hopefully Limerick kind of play their full hand and it's, and it's going to be a bit of a cracker. Uh, that is this week's performance rankings. Limerick, Kerry in the green. Uh, by the way, before we wrap up, just to tell you, you can come join the football pod live with Paddy Andrews, James Donoghue and special guests. We are going to Royal Theatre Castle Bar on Thursday, June 2nd in celebration of Mayo football. A look at the championship race and much more. That's the football pod live in Castle Bar on June the 2nd. Tickets are on sale now. You can go to otbsports.com forward slash events to get yours today and stay tuned to OTB for details on more shows still to come. After these ads, we're going to be joined by Alan Quinlan to dissect the weekend's Champions Cup action. But first, here's Gary Breen telling OTB's Stephen Doyle that Jesse Marsh is better for Leeds right now than Marcelo Bielsa was despite their major struggles. How optimistic would you be of their chances then of staying up this season? I'm sure the supporters are feeling a lot better after seeing that performance there today. Yeah, they will be in terms of how quickly it unfolded for them. Meslier making a ridiculous mistake to give Arsenal the lead early on. And then the captain, a two-footed challenge. It's just when you need your experience, your leaders in your change room, it's going to be a difficult enough game coming here anyway. And I don't think many people would have given Leeds much of a chance in type of form that Arsenal had been in. But had they had the 11 men, they could have got something out of the game. I look at the situation now in terms of the teams down the bottom. We know Everton won today. You were hoping Leeds could have done something to take advantage of the fact that Burnley dropped points. So I still think all three of those teams are still in it. Leeds have been clawed back into it again when they looked like they were in a good position. But I think they're in a better position now under Jesse March in terms of how organised they are, how they can stay in the game. I've seen them at times this season against Watford away. They're under pressure second half in that game. It was tightly balanced at the time. They stayed in the game, stayed behind the goal and comfortably saw it out. So that bodes well from them. They're learning how to, to compete at this level and not to give the game up so easily as they were doing under Bielsa. Certain players are coming back. Phillips was there again today. It was a difficult task for him because I thought Arsenal were magnificent in midfield today. But him being back will add to it. You hope that Cooper can recover from his injury. Whether or not Bamford comes back remains mm. to be seen because he's such an important player considering the amount of goals he got from last season in the Premier League. So he's been a huge miss. But listen, with three games to go, I've been in this situation. Anything can happen and it's still all to play for. OTB AM. This is OTB Sports Radio. Paddy, they go, what? He goes, Paddy Andrews. I go, yeah. And he goes, this is James Hills. He's upstairs. Will I get him? <laughs> 
The Football Pod with Paddy Andrews and James O'Donoghue are bringing the show on the road. The first stop for Ireland's biggest and best GEA pod will be the Royal Theatre in Castle Bar on Thursday, June 2nd as Paddy, James, Tommy and special guests dissect, analyse and celebrate Mayo football as well as getting stuck into the runners and riders for Championship 2022. Tickets are €20 plus booking fees and are on sale now. See otbsports.com forward slash events for more. This is Sport Ireland Campus and here is where it all starts. From the little ones learning to the high-performance athletes leading. Here we go to play, to practice, to progress. Here is where communities in the nation come together to compete, to win and to belong. Here we go to the next level, then on to the world stage. This is Sport Ireland Campus and here we go. Visit sportirelandcampus.ie to be a part of it. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 18 minutes past 8, you're very welcome back to OTBAM. It's Owen and Ger with you right away through until 10 o'clock this morning. And we are turning our attention back to the weekend of Heineken Champions Cup action. Heartbreak for Munster at the Aviva Stadium, but Leinster power through to the semi-finals. Alan Quinlan is with us on the line. Alan, good morning to you. Morning, Owen. How are you? Yeah, very well. Uh, did Saturday feel like one of those epic, memorable Irish sporting moments despite the results for Munster? Yeah, it did. It, it felt like that for me. Um, it brought back kind of memories of of, of uh, playing in these those big games over the years. It was really special to see all the, the Munster fans there. The atmosphere was electric and I was pretty proud of the players. I think um, the effort they put in, uh, the work rate, the honesty, the passion, all that kind of stuff that um, was, was just second to none against a really powerful side. So it was a really special day. It was heartbreaking in the end for, for Munster to lose that way. But um, just phenomenal effort, really, from the players, from the Munster players against a, a team of internationals, really. Uh, Munster still, you know, they're deficient in certain areas. We know that. But um, heartbreaking in the end because I thought the way they went out and played, um, the tactics they had, they made some mistakes, for sure, but um, just to lose in the end like that was was devastating for, for them. Uh, Fergus Keogh's winning such a set of penalty shootout was silly, trying to be smart by being different to soccer. What do you reckon? What what, what was your whole take on that in terms of the deciding it and, and that exact format for the penalty shootout? Yeah, well, if Munster won it, um, Fergus probably mightn't be in touch. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a tough one. It's very tough for either side. Um, We've only seen it once before, haven't we, with um, you know, Cardiff and Leicester in 2009. Martin Williams missed that kick, uh, great, the great Welsh ring forward. And um, it is, it's, it was very strange, but we, we all knew that before the game. And we know what that's, that's the situation in knockout rugby. Um, there, isn't, there isn't another week to have a replay. Um, I think if <clears throat> either side had scored more tries, they would have went through. There wouldn't have been a penalty kick, kick out. So I don't think there's any point in focusing on that. It's unfair. It's it's a difficult way to, to lose a match, but it's part of the rules and that was it. Um, so it was it was just heartbreaking for, for them to lose that way. For either side, it would have been the same for Toulouse. It would have been gutting and devastating for them. They're such an incredibly powerful side, but I just thought Munster got so much right. Um, and just maybe in crucial stages, just things didn't go... Um, um, you know, defensively they were so good, and then 
you just think one one kind of mistake in that second half there off the back of that line out where Labelle goes through and scores a brilliant try and and that was that was the winning and losing the game once Toulouse got back there and scored a try I think um, they believed they could they could probably go on and win it um, they didn't do that in, in normal time or extra time but um, I don't know what's the alternative if if uh, nobody wants to see it maybe leave a week in between but then there'll be probably league matches and play a replay but um, no you have to do it yeah I think so I think so you're right Jeremy. is there is there, a, is there a difference though where like in the Martin Williams as far as I remember everybody took one you know it wasn't three kickers nominated to take two each yeah that was different back then you you had um, and they were all right in front of the post on the 22 um, I think most <laughs> loose forwards are non-kickers prefer the situation at the moment where you you have most teams have three three guys who can kick the ball um and it was different back then so they've changed it now to take that that kind of chaos off people who are not not able to kick it and end up um running up to try and take penalties but i just i i have to say though ben healy um it's heartbreaking for him i know conor murray missed one as well but for Ben Healy, he's probably feels the worst. I was gutted for him, um, and it's just it's it's kind of. I remember Ronaldo saying uh, about Portugal a few years ago at the Euros when they had penalties. It's it's the lap of the gods. It's it's with God now, and and that's kind of the situation with this as well because you know you put Ben Healy down to kick those penalties again, he'll you know kick them no problem. It's just it happens. It's pressure. It's it's nerves, whatever the case may be. And look look at the fine margins in sport. He could have been the hero. Um, the drop goal right at the end that just went agonizingly wide wide um, of in extra time could have been the hero, the penalty. I know that previous the drop the previous drop goal, he didn't, you know, catch that right at all. It was it was scuppered a little bit. But you know, just thinking back to Ronan O'Gara in two thousand, uh, missing those kicks against Northampton. He went on after that and um you know, nail drop goals, penalties for years after in, in in huge games. So it's really, really tough for Ben Healy. And it's tough for all of the Munster players because nobody, they weren't expected to win. And I think they will learn a lot from this. Uh, they learned a lot of how to manage a lead as well. I think the second half when they were 24-14 up, I thought they stopped playing a little bit. And look, it's understandable. It's easy to kind of be, say that on the sideline. But I just thought they... There was space on the edges and they probably started slowing things down a little bit and trying to to, to, to kick again and, and and protect that lead. Um, they were incredibly brave with the performance all the way through up to that point. And I just thought Conor Murray's experience on the field um, could have... I, I, I just thought he was having one of his best games I've seen in a long, long time from Munster. And I just thought that it was... He, he probably should have been left on the field, and that's no criticism of of of, um, Craig, of Casey. Uh, Craig Casey. Sorry, I'm gone blank there. That's no criticism of him. But look, um, it is what it is. It was a, it was a kind of a special feel, and I think it can be a galvan. It can have a galvanized effect on the club as well. It showed people, um, you know, brought back great memories, and memories are no good unless you're you're challenging for trophies. But I think. And we've seen in the last number of weeks, we've spoken about on the podcast as well, a um, bit of consistency in selection, um, 
trying to be ambitious in the way they play a little bit more. And, uh, you know, against an incredible side, they, they, they came up short. The scrum was a massive issue, lads. Mm. Before we get to the scrum, there's a question here um, about Carberry and why they didn't let Carberry take the drop at the end. Like, I know he'd moved to full back, uh, it seems certainly from the TV coverage, um, when Ben Healy came on. He is still the most experienced of those players. He is the Ireland international. It did feel like maybe at that moment you put Healy at fullback and you go, right, Carby, you come in and take this because you have more experience. Would that not be a fairly normal thing that would have happened on the field? I, I, I thought, I've thought about that afterwards, yeah. Um, even have one of them on either side had the ability to hit hit, uh, hit either player um, because, you know, that experience and that bit of um, nose that he would have had. But Ben Healy's very calm, very composed fella. Normally he's shown us that in, in, in his short career with Munster. Um, so it's, yeah, I thought that I was waiting for Carberry to pop up somewhere there. I thought they went for the drop goal a little bit early as well. Um, Toulouse were, were primed to charge it. You know, the one one right at the end where he yeah. got it perfectly as regards the strike, it just went wide. I thought it went a little bit early. Could have played under a couple of phases there. Um, so it was, look, if he kicks it, it's it's the best decision in the world. I just thought he, they should have waited. They should have kept going for another minute or two. But look, fatigue, mental fatigue, physical fatigue, and, and the effort they had made. Ram, Ramos hooked one a few minutes beforehand himself. They probably, Toulouse could say the same, that they should have probably tried to build more phases. But just the passion and the heart and the, the effort against... The, the, the physical size of the Toulouse players was just sensational. I think Munster had 19 turnovers. Alex Kendellan, uh, Peter O'Malley was just incredible. But Alex Kendellan, for me, um, I think he's put himself in contention for New Zealand. Um, this guy only made his debut back in January for Munster, started his first game. I just think he looks, he's not someone who's, who's promising for the future. He's the here and now. I just thought his composure the whole game, his physical presence, He's carrying, he's tackling, work at the breakdown. He just had a, a an unbelievable game. Jack O'Donoghue as well. Um, so the Munster back row, you know, the Finneen Witcherly, Josh Witcherly, these guys, uh, they were just brilliant against seasoned internationals. And the scrum was the issue. If Munster had, were able to hold their own the scrum, the, Mattis, the, the second try that Toulouse scored, Munster had repelled Toulouse from from getting over with a, in, a, in a mall five metres out, held them up, get the scrum. Um, all you got to do there is, well, it's easier said than done. Just win your scrum, clear your lines, and it's a big psychological blow for the opposition. Toulouse just pushed them straight off it, and Lebel scores in the corner. Um, there was other scrums. The scrum, uh, the penalty that Ramos equalised uh, to make it 24-all, that was a monster scrum as well. So... Um, that was the big problem from after just the phenomenal effort they put in. They just couldn't um, come to terms with that power that Toulouse had at, at scrum time. So, so they'll, they'll earmark that over the next little while, Alan, as somewhere where they're weaker than one of the best teams in Europe. Is it a matter of recruitment in order to get better in that department? Or can you see improvements within that group? Kandelin, Josh Witcherly, even Finine Witcherly, in, ter- in terms of getting to that level over the course of the next few months for this time next year to be able to compete in that department? 
Yeah, I think Josh Richley will get better. He'll probably get stronger, probably put on a little bit more weight. He's he's a brilliant footballer around the field. And maybe it's just uh, it's the weight difference as well. You know, when you see what Toulouse could bring off the bench and Cyril Boy and um, David Anu and, and Mauvaka, you know, it's incredible strength and power coming off the bench. Uh, John Ryan coming on and Stephen Archer have, have, you know, manfully kind of stepped up for Munster on, on every occasion. Um, but, you know, when you, at that level, quarterfinals, semifinals of Europe, you're, you're very close, if not on a par with international level quality to win this competition or to be to be looking like a team that's going to win it. And, you know, if there's any kind of chunk or chink in your armour or weakness there, people will exploit it. And you could see that from the very first scrum, Julian Marchand, the French hooker, just the approach, um, the body position and the power that was coming through in the middle of that scrum was 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 incredible. So for Munster, you just can't, like, I don't, I don't know. Everyone knows this about the scrum situation. Um, that you need way more depth there. You know, Kenyon Knox, the young player there, Roman Salanoa, um, both those guys you would have loved to have seen them play more this year and make more impacts. They're still prospects. Um, they've got to step up pretty quickly um, if they're going to, you know, sort that situation out for Munster. Um, if not, Munster have probably got to go into the market and see if they get a tight end from somewhere because, you know, David Nisifor and, and the IRFU will know that as well. And it'd be a shame in in the next year, two, three, that a lot of these players, from the experience they've got, the improvements that they can possibly even make more. Um, and, you know, if you had Gavin Coombs, Tyburn, uh, Dave Kilcoyne, Andrew Conway, RG Snyman out in the field, it's probably a different looking team and it's a stronger looking team. Um, and it'd be a shame if, it, if, if you get this situation 12 months time where you know, scrum penalties um, come against you again. So um, I don't know what they're going to do there on. They've got to try and look at that situation, um, try and improve within, first of all. And then um, if somebody comes on the market or if they can get someone, um, you know, there's there's a guy who keeps tweeting us on the, on the podcast, on the Red 78s, uh, about Ollie Yeager in, in New Zealand with the Crusaders. Um, that's... Uh, he may come back to Ireland. That he keeps saying that when when he comes back and plays for Munster, but um, he originated in Leinster, so maybe he'll come back there. I don't know if he'll come back to Ireland at all, but it's a problem that that you know there's no quick fix solution unless you go out with a checkbook and sign a world class tight head. There's no question, Alan, that like the mood music after Saturday is by and large positivity around Munster. Do you, do you think that that carries into the off season, regardless of how the end of the season ends, or do they need to get a URC trophy, or, or at least come very, very close to Leinster? No, they do, they need to come close to Leinster. That, that's it. Um, and they needed to come close to Toulouse on Saturday. They needed to go show show the potential that's there. Um, and like, as I said, nobody expects them to win Europe or even win the URC because Leinster are on a different level. That's just the reality. But they've got to be in the fight and show, come close. So they did that on Saturday. And the template, I always think about playing for Munster, is that passion, that drive, that pride in the jersey, all that kind of stuff. And of course, you know, nobody wants uh, to kind of ha- get pats in the back for, for, for that, that kind of stuff and say, well, we stood up and we were great, and but we still lost. They want to win. 
uh, and the Munster fans want him to win. But I just thought the I thought Saturday, if it's used in the right way, particularly around the messages that come out from this team, um, you know, you can the fans came back and it was a special day. I think so for Graham Rountree going forward now is to try and you know build on that. Um, there's definitely a number of players like Jack Daly came on the other day and probably we haven't seen him in a while he had a couple of injuries young back row as well he was he was outstanding you know outstanding Thomas Ahern coming off the bench um, absolutely brilliant as well so they made mistakes and you know a little bit of naivety at times as I said trying to protect the lead but they can become stronger from that experience if they use it in the right way and if they kind of get better skillfully um, if their their game develops a little bit more. So they can use it in a positive way, I think. Well, just think about that, right? What difference will Mike Prendergast make to this team? Well, you can see that um, they have improved in their attack in recent times and they've shown that in their performances. Um, I think there was opportunities at the weekend that they will look back on and see that they should have went for it. There was space on the edges at times, um, a lot of the time, particularly in that second half when they actually slowed the game down and kicked. Um, so I think his attack, and I know the way he views the game, he wants to try and exploit those opportunities. Um, looking for a little bit more width in the game, upskilling all the forwards. You know, I've said this many times about, you know, Playing an expansive game isn't about going from winger to winger to winger with the backs. It's about everybody running good lines, little tip-on passes, um, offloads, um, catch-pass skills, all that kind of stuff, and being able to you know, get through little gaps and spaces. So I think if their attack was um, you know, better, they could have exploited one or two more opportunities on Saturday. So you would hope that um, that's where he'll want to take him to, um, to, to, to exploit those opportunities and really go for it and, and be confident. Confident, confidence and self-belief is really important in that as well, Ger. when you're attacking, that you, you see an opportunity and just look at Leinster and Leicester at the weekend, you know, in their own 22, the ability that when James Lowe taps the ball and goes and Keenan, Jimmy O'Brien are on his shoulder, having the ability to do that and be really confident and, if it breaks down, then say, no problem, we recycle the ball and we can revert to kick it or we can go again right across the field with with accuracy. So um, I'm not saying he's just going to come and do that perfectly, but that's, I know that's exactly what he would want. And you just think at 24-14, one more score you felt and like nobody in the stadium felt, oh God, Munster have won it now because they're 10 points up because Toulouse are so dangerous. But I just think one more score would have psychologically got them over the line. Well, that was an absolute epic on Saturday. Uh, Leinster was less traumatic. I probably, I guess the, the lack of drama, relatively speaking, probably shows the, the gulf between them and the other sides in this competition going to Welford Road. I guess the feeling at halftime is that the game was done. Does the second half give you any concern, Alan, about Leinster's prospects over the next couple of weeks? None really. Right. Um, none, none at all. You know, when you're 20 points up, it's job done. Um, of course Leicester were going to come out and throw the kitchen sink at us and, and try and react in their front of their home fans I think Steve Bortrick would have kind of read the riot act him at half time but um, 
the, the, the performance from Leinster in the first half, the, the way they managed the game and the pace they could put into it. Um, Leicester ended up having more territory, more possession in the game, but it doesn't matter. It's the scoreboard, scoreboard and that's ruthless efficiency from Leinster um, was was very evident from the word from the word go. I thought James Ryan was absolutely outstanding in his performance, as many of the Leinster players were. Gibson Park, brilliant again. Um, so uh, I wouldn't have any concerns about the second half because inevitably Leicester were going to try and come back and react, and and Leinster by and large coped with that pretty well. It would have been interesting last season to see what would have happened had Leinster actually got that crack off to lose late in the competition. It does feel that they've narrowed slightly the, the gap between these teams, especially between Toulouse and the rest over the course of the last season. Does that make Leinster favourites, especially given the venue this weekend? Yeah, it does. It makes Leinster favourites. I think um, fitness-wise, they're on a different level and I think that that helped Munster at the weekend as well, how fit they were. Um, I think Toulouse tried to slow the game down a lot. Um, a lot of the big players were you know, from the high vantage point, I was up on the top of the stands. A lot of them were walking in phase play. Um, I just think that that's something that Leo Cullen, Stuart Lancaster and the rest of his coaches will identify that, you know, if you hold on to the ball for a long period, yeah, they will get a little bit lazy. They're incredibly powerful and physical. And of course, they can cause Leinster problems. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, physically they're incredibly powerful and they'll go after Leinster scrum they'll go after them the mall um, and Leinster have got to be on the money physically and win win collisions and really stop them at source because you know DuPont Intimac they got you know Munster kind of marshaled them very well at the weekend um, but still some subtle little touches at times and they're wonderful players so you know they'll, they'll know that but I just think Leinster are at a different level here and I'd be very sure uh, which is risky saying I'm um, a neutral in this now. So I, I, my, my heart isn't on my sleeve with saying this, but I think Leinster could win this game by 15 or 20 points. Right. Um, I, I think they will, you know, the way they hold on to the ball, the efficiency they have around the breakdown and and just probably the, 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 the contrast and the physical kind of toll in both games. Um, it'll be... You know, Toulouse will be bouncing, obviously, winning the game. Um, but I just think Leinster will be fresh as, fresh as daisies. Uh, they'll be better shaped physically and mentally for this game. That's not to say that Toulouse won't cause them issues. And on their day, you know, they can be world-class. They can score out of nothing. And they showed that a couple of times. So Leinster got to be very wary of that. But um, I think Leinster in the driving seat here, to not alone to win the semi-final, but to, to win the competition as well. Yeah, hopefully it's uh, Raj versus Leinster 2.0 in the final as well. Alan, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers, lads. Thanks. Alan Quinlan there on the line. You can listen to the Red 78 podcast for more, I guess. Uh, the visit of the best player in the world. In the match that Alan Quinlan just said they're going to win by 15 to 20 points. <laughs> I think they'll get a full axe for that, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, don't bother showing up. This thing is done. I mean, this is a, no, a Champions Cup No, you got to show up. Uh, right, it is uh, 8.40, you're with us here on OTBAM and Team OTB are taking on Triathai this June. It's all in partnership with Whoop, the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. See whoop.com for more. This is your home triathlon, Ger. How far out are we? We're like less than a month at this stage, I think. Uh, yeah, but it's three weeks on Sunday. 
Um, we saw what the home so crowd could do for Munster on Saturday. Are we going to get a similar yeah, home crowd bounce for you? Next, next nine week? o'clock on Sunday morning. I'm not sure that um, there will be flags, at flags, at flags and headbands. Um, I stupidly got bounced into doing the whole thing on Friday. Um, Ashley O'Reilly was on. Oh, I think uh, you and me are the only ones doing the full thing. I was like, I'm not doing the full thing. I was, I was like, oh. So by the end of that piece, I agreed to do the full thing. Do you know the distances here are like, it's a 250 meter swim. Yeah. So, and I'll say what I said on Friday. I used to be good at maths. In a 50-meter pool, that's up, down, up, down, up. That's it. That's all the swim is, right? And you're actually downstream bobbing along like a cork because it's in a river. That's the sum total of what Adrian Barry is doing in the triathlon. One leg, up, down, up, down, up. That's what he's training for two months for. Just want to get that out there. I don't think enough is being made of this. Then there's a 20k cycle and then there's a 4k run. Adrian's doing a 250 meter swim. If it was a thousand meter swim, if it was a like a kilometer and a half or a mile swim, I'd be impressed. But I just wanted to. In fairness, he's done that before in the actual sea as well. So he he does he does have like the training done and the experience of open water swimming. But instead, he's just gonna slalom away down. I mean, literally, be carried by the current. What what is so? I mean, I presume you've just given up your swimming training at this point because you're painting the swim out to be very very easy. You're just cycling and running at this point. Uh, I'm not running. I'm not going to do any running. I can't. I'm, me and running don't really. The old knees and the ankles and the toes are too sore. So how did this happen then? Why why are you why are you doing the the run and well, the cycle? Well, because I was going to do the swim and the cycle, and then uh, it turns out nobody else is doing the full thing apart from Ashling. Um, she's actually like healthy and. Uh, play sport is Tommy not doing this did he somehow get away with not doing this or is he doing this I have no idea I haven't seen Tommy in a long time he's in America right now for anybody who wants to find him Times Square yeah him and the naked cowboy yeah just somewhere around there I don't know I'm interested that you've gone for the whole thing fair play I guess is is what you're looking for here congratulations on signing up to the full thing Uh, where where can people follow your progress or, or what happens next uh, well, we, we're going to be obviously talking about it over the next couple of weeks. Um, like the the trouble is that I hadn't done any cycling until this week, and so I went out on Friday uh, or Saturday and Sunday. And um, it's fair to say saddles are sore if you haven't been on them for a while. They cause difficulties. <laughs> they like they, it's the type of difficulty that makes it difficult for your life. Difficult, they. Does everybody know what I'm talking about here without going <laughs> too far, without making anybody puke their breakfast this morning? It's very sore. It, it, saddles are sore. And they, ha- they cause you difficulties. And how long did he do on the bike? How how many difficulties have you been? 20 having? kilometers. I've done, yeah. I, I, like, I'm, not, I'm not like, I haven't got up to the 60, 70. I'm not uh, Johnny Ward, or you, for that matter. Mm. You've become a very proficient cyclist after your various issues down through the years. Big, big issues. So just cycling very, very slowly, though, that's the, that's the problem here. That's always been my problem, just cycling too slowly, always and my problems. What kind of distances are you doing at the moment? I haven't gone on the bike now in a while. Did a 50k the other day, but that was about it. Yeah. Uh, very slowly, obviously. Very flat. Very impressive. I, very I love impressive. the way when you show up to these things as well, they're like, this is a very flat course. Uh, most people don't have problems. And then you're going up like Montfond 2 and you're like, what is this? Who has tricked me into doing this? Who has told me that this was actually going to be um, uh, an actual flat course? Uh, how well is Jer going to do? Ask him. It says on my document in front of me. How well are you going to do, Jer? 
Uh, well, I'll finish. I, that's my plan is to finish and not have a heart attack. Right. Well, I think... If those two things happen, I will be very happy for that. My strain level has been increasing slowly, slowly over the last week or so on the whoop. It was like uh, there's um, a recovery metric, which I was like number one at for the first three or four weeks of this, which basically means that I wasn't doing any work. It's like a very polite way of going, oh, your recovery is very good there. Would you like to, would you, would you maybe, you know, come on, come on, you can, you can do this. And so my strain has been increasing over the last few days as I've actually begun to taper up as opposed to taper down. The, the thing I'm an expert, world-class taper downer. It would be very embarrassing now for anybody else who's doing one leg to be beaten by you in any of the legs, right? So you're like, you're coming into this, into this no pressure scenario. Fundamentally, that, that this is a win-win-win scenario. You're just going to go all out to crush Adrian in the swim, and then after that, and then I'll retire. Like, I'm just kind of yeah. done. Um, all right, good stuff. I've been asked to give my own prediction here, which I'm I'm not doing because I've uh, I'm, I'm a pathetic excuse for a human being, and I'm not even doing this. So I'm not going to I'm not going to snipe on the sidelines. I'm not going to just I'm not going to sit here and sneer on air. I'll do that off air. Uh, but thank you very much for the invitation. I think we should do Von 2 next year. Yes, let's definitely do that thing. That definitely won't uh, blow up in our face. Go for it, Jar. I will uh, cheer you on from the no, sidelines. No, you can. We, you said we. You said we should do that. I, you're, you're on the record of saying we should do that. Yeah, no, I'm sick, sick that week. 100%. No, no, we don't know what, what week it is Pe- yet. People have literally died going up Von 2. People have literally died going up that place. I, I, I wouldn't even make it up the first little climb. Before yeah, well, we would have a year to do it, Owen. I'm, I'm giving you a year's notice of a year's training. <laughs> I'm not like I mean, I've, I'm not signing up to a climb up uh, Mount Ventoux, but thank you for the invitation. Really do appreciate it. We will follow your progress over the next little while. What date is it again? June Bank Holiday Triathlon. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Very, on your very form short. there. Uh, it is eight forty-six, eight forty-seven. Uh, Carl Milani is with us in studio. Carl, how are you getting on? Good morning, lads. How are things? Yeah, very well. Good. Uh, I heard your dulcet tones on Galway Leitrim. Yeah, uh, Galway impressive in the second half and four goals coming from the bench so they'll be quite happy I think. Leitrim stuck with them now actually for quite a while. Um, first 25 minutes was pretty competitive but Galway's squad told uh, towards the end so that should be an interesting Connacht final now Galway and uh three weeks time so I think that's going to be a, a cracker and both teams will probably fancy a run I think at the All-Ireland series as well definitely the winner of that game will uh, will fancy themselves in the latter stages Yeah they blazed past with a score of 4.20 yesterday was there, that obviously was just putting a bit of glass on the scoreline at the end Yeah it was uh, Patrick Kelly got two goals off the bench um, they never stopped really uh, Shane Walsh and Damian Comer were probably a little bit more subdued than they might have thought but they will be very heartened I think by the fact that their bench was so impactful in the game and uh, we all know that they need, teams need squads now to, to push on especially if the games are a little bit tighter for them down the line and uh, I think they're building really nicely to be honest I think that they could be in the shake-up later this year Galway um, they'll probably be aiming to, to get to a semi-final and then from that stage on uh, who knows so what are we starting with this morning? Well, let's start uh, with the hurling from yesterday because the Limerick hurling manager, John Kiley, says his side will have to improve if they are to retain their All-Ireland title. The reigning champions secured their third successive Munster Championship win following a 3.21 to 23 points win over Tipperary yesterday. In football, Donegal threw to the te- a 10th Ulster final in 12 years. They were 2.16 to 16 points winners over Cavan and, as mentioned, Galway beat Leitrim in Connacht by 4.20 to 9 points to set up a Connacht final against Roscommon. Action this evening in hurling 
Hurling sees the Leinster under 20 final take place Wexford against Kilkenny that's at Carlos Netwatch Cullen Park and throw-in is at half past seven Manchester City's lead at the top of the Premier League table is three points this morning that's with three games left to play they dished out a 5-0 hammering to Newcastle yesterday Everton moved out of the relegation zone thanks to a 2-1 win over Leicester Leeds are now in the bottom three after a 2-1 loss to Arsenal while West Ham beat Norwich by four goals to nil four of the f- top five sides in the SSE Ertricity League Premier Division are in action here at home tonight leaders Derry City host third place St Pat's from 7.45 and at 8 in Tala second place Shamrock Rovers take on fifth place Sligo Rovers in golf last night Rory McIlroy had to settle for a fifth place finish that was at the Wells Fargo Championship he carded a final round of 200 par 68 he was on four under overall that was four shots behind the eventual winner Max Homa England's Matt Fitzpatrick was among those in a tie for second on six under par while on the Champions Tour fantastic final round from Pora Carrington not quite enough to land the Mitsubishi Classic title he carded six back nine birdies that was in a final round of eight under par 64 his ten under par total was one shot behind the eventual winner Steve Flesh Darren Clark ended on four under par in Formula 1 last night Red Bull's Max Verstappen has cut Charles Leclerc's advantage at the top of the Drivers' Championship to 19 points that's after winning the Miami Grand Prix the title holder crossed the line ahead of the current standings leader Lewis Hamilton finishing in sixth while Carlos Sainz was in third for Ferrari and finally in news of racing there's a seven race card at Roscommon today the first goes to post there at 25 past four plenty of reaction into our performance rankings earlier on uh, we've got Connor Joyce saying Kerry aren't as far ahead of everyone as people think Tyrone will clip them if they meet later in the championship and uh, people said and PL says 74 Kerry beat a poor division 2 team after a 50 minute arm wrestle that performance proves nothing I mean Jeremy the, the, the people out there are against you it seems like you're hyping up Kerry the for Kerry unnecessary Matthew reasons got the, the WhatsApp saying here Owen is losing another debate about Kerry I'm telling you you guys are massive favourites at the moment it's true the rest of the country knows it ask, ask an honest broker here Carl Kerry are the best team in the country by a mile at the moment and if they don't win the All-Ireland it'll be a massive crushing disappointment I agree by a mile? I think so, yeah. By a mile? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Well, well, who's who's closest to them? Dublin. Based on the, the, win the, over team, that, that the team that they have. Let's, let's the see Ireland winners. Let's see after next weekend when the, the Leinster semi-finals take place. But I think at the moment it's Kerry's to lose, no doubt. Um, as I said, I think Galway, Donegal, maybe. Um, they weren't overly impressive yesterday, were they? But they they still have it in them, I think, to produce one big display, maybe in an All-Ireland quarter-final. Uh, yeah. If they get there. Um, that they, they do have that in the locker Derry and Monaghan Derry are in good form Monaghan probably going in under the radar a little bit but there's no question that Kerry are quite a distance out in front Yeah, and they don't even have to peak for another month well like I, yeah, you say that but like is that not is that not the thing that caught them last year the fact that they had this time no, sitting on their hands playing to David no, that was it. a reason that was a reason it wasn't the that reason was it. That, was all, that was it was literally it they you're, won, no, you're they pain, won that game you're painting them as this like this team that are like miles and miles in front of the rest if they were miles and miles in front of the rest then an injury to one player won't bring them back to the pack that significantly there are other reasons that have tripped them up in the past and it's not just an injury to their best player it is a psychological element to it and I do believe last year they went a little bit cold after such an amount of time off and I think that that could hamper them a little bit this year. I'm not saying that they're going to lose a game because of it. I just think, let's cool the Jets on this hole. They're miles and miles in front of everybody else. Yes, of course, they are our, our they, All-Ireland favourites. They didn't have the strength and depth last year that they do this year. That's the other thing. This got, year, they definitely have much more strength and depth. They've developed that. Better. And their defensive structure is much better as well. That's got better exactly. as well. 
So, Come on, it's like so they, they can cut all the ingredients off. Yeah, They're... so they, they've gone from not winning the All <laughs> Irelands to being All Ireland favourites. Like, I don't think that takes them from being like that doesn't take them to being like clear, clear of like everybody by distance. This is a conversation I dare say that uh, Joe would like to have at some point uh, tomorrow and the day after and next week and the week after. So you'll hear this again as we will play the hits. Carl, uh, great stuff. Thanks, Thanks for popping in. Uh, returning our attention back to the weekend's Premier League at 8.53. Andy Mitten is with us on the line. Andy, good morning. How are you getting on? Good morning. Can't you ask me about the uh, All-Ireland rather than Manchester United? <laughs> Can't we have a nice chat about... Uh, <laughs> The, the teams in Croke Park or whatever you want to talk to me about happily I'd, I would love to get your thoughts on that except for the fact that Manchester United for the rest of us anyway are still pretty interesting and almost getting more interesting week after week after week we were kind of wondering earlier on if this could possibly be the lowest ebb but we've wondered this quite a bit over the last few months do you feel that it, they're at least close to that point where this is the lowest point it's just getting worse and worse and worse and losing 4-0 at Anfield is bad enough but Liverpool are a considerably better team than Brighton and Hove Albion, who'd not won a single game in this calendar year, had a terrible record against Manchester United, despite being a, a successful club. And the performance on Saturday was, was disgraceful. It was a disgrace to the 3,000 travelling fans. It wasn't a huge surprise when Manchester United go behind, as they tend to do, tend to go behind early in matches, and really struggle to get back into matches. So... The idea of getting in the top four in the Champions League, that disappeared a couple of weeks ago. I think now United have just got to try and get into the Europa League, that top six finish. Uh, I think the Europa League is actually a decent competition. I think that's been shown uh, this year. But no, this is this is, this is a, a really, really bad time for, for Manchester United. And when United look at the main rivals, they see Liverpool in a European Cup final. Uh, Manchester City, well, they got knocked out. So United fans are getting amused by Real Madrid doing so well, but it all takes attention away from the the real significant problems that Manchester United have at the moment in in what has been a, a massively disappointing season. It's going to be the lowest points total. I worked it out at the weekend since 1990 when the team finished 13th. But at least United won the FA Cup that year. I remember that season and the bright end to the season because the team was still in the cup. Um, yeah, I mean, so many, so many negatives. It, it did feel maybe a few months ago that Manchester United could still cling to the fact that there was maybe the bones of a squad there, that the regeneration would take a while, but maybe it would take a couple of seasons. I think four transfer windows is something that Ranjik has mentioned actually quite recently. Does that look optimistic at this point, Andy, that, that four transfer windows is all it's going to take? Nobody knows the answer to that question because in the last nine years, there's been this idealised version of what's going to happen with Manchester United. And I remember Lou Van Gaal coming in and saying, judge me after 100 days. And after 100 days, it wasn't great. And he wanted a bit more time and he got time, got a couple of years, made lots of changes. They didn't work out. So I have very little faith in the recruitment process at Manchester United, unless there's a significant upturn in that, that even if players do come in, you hear fans saying, get rid of the deadwood, deadwood, deadwood. But I've heard the same thing for, for nine years. United have recruited poorly and brought the wrong type of players in for the managers, uh, the wrong type of system that the managers have been using. Yes, the uh, appointment of Eric Ten Hag will be greeted with optimism, 
just as every single appointment has been post post Ferguson, although fans were more circumspect about David Moyes, for example. And he's a good manager, but I wonder whether it's too much for for one man, especially when you see how high the bar has been raised by by the excellence of, of Liverpool under Klopp and Manchester City under Pep Guardiola. And then you've got Chelsea, I know they've got their off-field issues, but they're a current European and, and world champions. So I'd, I'd expect an improvement for Manchester United because it cannot be so bad given the players that are at the at the club and some will go in the summer and some will come in and each will be greeted again with great we're, we're on the way back but it's all about results um, Ralph Rangnick is clearly a bright man who is a good overseer of football but I can't pretend that his appointment's been a success the football and the results have been dreadful under him so Ten Hag I absolutely wish him well he'll get lots of support I've done a great job at Ajax but Manchester United has been a, a talent shredding machine for players, for managers as well. And I'm an optimist who thinks things will get better. But I'm also extremely sceptical because of, of what has happened at Manchester United in recent years. Mm. Like the talent shredding is, is an interesting phrase because it seems that the latest person who's kind of been under the microscope on that talent shredding conversation has been Raphael Varane, especially after the weekend's performance. Is, is he indicative of that point that you made there people who arrive at the club and essentially look worse when they wear the the shirt of Manchester United or is that actually indicative of poor recruitment I think Varane's a good player I realise I'm saying that at the moment after he's had a terrible game like the rest of them at at, um, Brighton and I'm sure part of him is thinking I could be working on another Champions League final here he would have stayed in that Madrid team uh, he's had a poor first season because injury uh, has hampered him. But I still maintain he's a good player. I saw him play lots in Spain. And I do think he'll come good at Manchester United. I think potentially he's the best central defender there. And by a distance as well. Right. But clearly other factors come into play, like confidence, like team selection. He's playing in English football for the first time. So he's not one I would be looking to move on saying this is an absolute disaster. I know exactly why Real Madrid sold him and it was nothing to do with his talent. It was more about getting money in uh, for him. Uh, They offered him a new contract. They were quite half-hearted in the new contract that they offered him. So he's been poor. Um, He's had some decent games as well, but he's not my main concern. Who else in that back four then are you looking at in terms of those that you would keep at the club next season? Next question, you know, do you want, do you want names here? Because I'm struggling. I think Maguire, Maguire's had um, his worst season probably in professional football. But it's only a year ago that we were talking about his importance and how much he'd be missed uh, in the Europa League final in Gdansk, was at the end of May uh, last year. I think he can actually get, get back to a decent level. Is he a world-class central defender? I've got my doubts about that. Victor Lindelof has got his virtues. He had a poor game at Brighton. And you're comparing them to players like Virgil van Dijk and the, the lads at Manchester City. And there's a little comparison at the moment. The two fullbacks, the four fullbacks, well, it's been a massive problem area. At right back, Aaron Wambasaka has declined as a player. Diogo Delot's got some virtues. But again, compare him to the players 
compare him to Trent Alexander-Arnold or the the, play, the fullbacks we saw at Chelsea at Old Trafford last week at Manchester City, Cancelo, who's someone Manchester United looked at. And again, they're way short of that level. I think Luke Shaw's a decent player. He's not had his best season at all. Form, injury. Alex Tellez, he looks short of the mark for Manchester United. And strange things have happened and, and, the, and the players have, have got back to a much better level. So the confidence is down on, on all of them. I wouldn't write all of them off. United can't go out and buy an, an entire new defence in the summer. That's just not going to happen. But it's been a poor season for the defence, as we see by the number of goals that United have conceded. I think the goal difference is plus one after 37 games. I mean, that's absolutely atrocious for Manchester United. Plus one. Yeah. Andy, what is realistic in terms of the number of players who might come in in the summer? Because the fans will want 20 new players and they want them every player who gets linked between now and whenever the transfer window closes that the agents are doing jobs on. They will want all of those players in to try and somehow give a sense that this can happen, this turnaround can happen quickly. But what's realistic? Is it six maximum, seven maximum? I think the the, the, the case is helped by so many players um, being out of contract and leaving. So that helps the job of Eric Ten Hag. Um, we know that Edinson Cavani is going to is going to leave. We know that Phil Jones, Jesse Lingard, Paul Pogba's probably going to leave. Um, a lot of players are going because they're out of contract. Um, Juan Mata, Nemanja Matic just said that he's going. So I'm already up to six or seven there. And they're going to be replaced if Manchester United are going to play European football next year, which looks likely. You need a squad for that. So maybe a couple come up from the youth ranks. One of the few bright spots has been the youth team. They're playing in the final at Old Trafford on Wednesday. Well over 60,000 tickets have been sold. That's incredible. And But they're, but they're 18-year-olds. They're, they're not coming straight into the first team. I'm thinking more about players like James Garner, who's on loan at Nottingham Forest. And then players are going to come in. You're not going to be getting seven players coming in on huge fees at all. United missing out on the Champions League will mean the budget is smaller. Um, players can come in on free. That's become more normal. United can still pay big, big wages. They're going to be losing players on big, big wages. I think Cristiano Ronaldo will probably stay, in part because nobody could match the contract that he's got at Manchester United, and in part because he's actually been a success this year. Although I can totally see the argument about United um, having to uh, change the system of play when he plays. And it was a surprise. The, the coaches had to rip up and start again because it was just put on them. Do you want him? Yep. Yeah, okay. And that all happened within a day back in August. So uh, there'll be new signings. And as you say, each of them will be greeted with the optimism and the hope that these players can contribute to a brighter future for Manchester United. We've been there so many times. And I can remember, and I'm as guilty as any fan, when... Bastian Schweinsteiger signed or Morgan Schneiderlin signed or Angel Di Maria signed. I could list 20 names who've come in and the majority of them were not a success at Manchester United. And if Ten Hag wants to bring in players who are not the darlings of social media, I'd have no problem with that. He's going to be the one making the decision here. He's going to be the one who decides who comes in and more power to his elbow. He's, he's, he will be the manager of Manchester United. The current manager, Ralph Rangnick, it, it just not worked out as a football manager. Clearly a bright man. 
Um, but he's not working. Look at the results. They're absolutely atrocious. Manchester United have lost five games away from home now on the bounce and lost them in some style as well. Conceded 60 goals. It's absolutely dreadful. What did you think when you saw the reports linking Paul Pogba to Manchester City and the subsequent reports that Paul Pogba uh, turned down Manchester City? Well, I'm a journalist. I wrote a big piece on Paul Pogba mm. last week with lots of inside information. So when I saw that report, I checked them out. I checked it out on Saturday and uh, I got told, um, yeah, it's true. There is interest. And I checked it out again this morning and I got told, yeah, that's also accurate. He's not going to Manchester City. Do you want to see my phone? I'm not going to show you. <laughs> tell them that. Um, so... I wouldn't be stunned if Paul Pogba went somewhere and was a success because I saw him playing for France in the Euros last year in a better team system with better players around him, with a better manager who's got more belief in him. There's a good player in there. But on a poll on United We Stand last week, 95% of those fans said enough's enough, go. And only 5% said give him another chance. The facts are that there is a contract offer for him. I don't know what Eric Ten Hag's view of Paul Pogba is. He'll be the one making the decision. If he decides Paul Pogba is a world-class player and I want him at Manchester United and I'm going to speak to him and set out my vision for him, then that's on him. Um, if he decides that he'll go with the view of most Manchester United fans, then that's his decision as well. Uh, in... All the time he's been at United, it's been underwhelming for Paul Pogba. There's mitigating circumstances. I think the fact that there's been such a breakdown in communication, lack of relationship with the fans, is partly on the club as well. And the dream he was sold has not materialised either. And I spoke to a lot of people about Paul Pogba last week for an article I did on, on The Athletic. Um, one of them said he's a complex character, but he's an energy giver. He's not a... Not someone who takes energy out of the team, but when things are going badly, he can bring people down with him. And there were two sides to his argument with with Jose Mourinho. Um, that didn't benefit any of the parties. But when Paul Pogba was playing well and, and on song, he can be a great player to have. And United fans have seen glimpses of that, but nowhere near enough. There's, there's a huge issue with consistency around uh, Paul Pogba, especially when you compare him to the consistent players at the teams who are at the top of the table uh, for, for a reason. And in many ways, he's a microcosm of why Manchester United are so poor. Uh, it's because um, he's so inconsistent and so are so many other players. So, so why were Manchester City interested in him then for, for those th- those reasons? Like, I mean, you say that he's not of the level consistently that some of the top clubs would want but but yet like you're saying that there was there was genuine links between him and Manchester City well that's on Pep Guardiola and he's got a pretty good track record doesn't always get it right either uh, I think he signed Chugrinsky from Ukraine for Barcelona who definitely didn't work out for for Barca uh, but is he's, he's a good judge of, of a footballer in the main and maybe he saw something maybe he thought that playing in a system which Manchester City obviously do uh, with more discipline with his confidence or maybe he's more vengeful and he wants to um, to to win uh, and win trophies I mean this is a man in the prime of his career he's 29 
he's I wouldn't say he's wasted five years, but it's five years since Manchester United last won a trophy. And I remember seeing his family outside the Europa League final in Stockholm, and they were so invested in that. They were so up for it. Um, it's just a shame that it's come to this. And I keep using the word shame and sadness. It's it, it, There's two sides again with all of this, but that's how it is for Manchester United right now. Do you think that there's a core of a team there that Ten Hag can build on or will the core of the team that ultimately brings Manchester United success be brought in over the next couple of years? So are Bruno and Rashford, are they going to be foundational pieces for Ten Hag? The stock of both of them is as low as it's been at Manchester United. Um, a new manager can change. We've seen players and, and clubs and teams turn pretty quickly. Um, when you think that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And I remember speaking to Jamie Carragher about Liverpool five years ago and there was no light at the end of the tunnel for him. But within a year, Liverpool looked far more of a force than, than they did do. And these players want to succeed. They, they want to be successful. Even Paul Pogba wants to be successful. And a new manager should be able to motivate his team. That's a, a key job of a manager. It's something where Ralph Rangnick has failed. And you might look at players and there's so many players in the history of football who've looked completely spent and then have looked so good uh, when when they've had a new manager, when they've got a good runner in a team, when they're, they're more confident. I'd love Marcus Rashford to be a success for Manchester United. Again, at the moment, and I said it on one of your shows in February, I wouldn't be surprised if he left. And the reaction to that was, What? Well, my sources were good at the time. I still wouldn't be surprised if he left. But if he stayed, um, and I think United would like the idea of him staying, but again, this is on the manager. The, the manager's going to be making uh, these decisions. And one problem Manchester United have got is that the players earn so much money, they're actually really unattractive to other clubs because yeah. there's no value for them. These are players who earn hundreds of thousands and... They can't afford them. There's there's better players out there for a lot less money. Can I ask you one question, Andy? If if Ten Hag came in and had a complete clear out of players, like so, you, you've talked about the players who are out of contract and are going to leave. But say he decided he didn't think Bruno and Rashford were foundational pieces, and and they went as well this summer for whatever deal they could get for them. How much patience will the fans have if? The, the team that takes the field next season isn't good enough to compete for top four, but is is at least trending in the right direction? Because there was a bit of a period at Liverpool just now, it's a different scenario because Klopp comes in mid-season, but the team was really bad for the first three, four months and they had loads of injuries because he was uh, ratcheting up the physicality of the training and it was the next season before the signings that he made started to have significant impact. And even the following Christmas after that, when they started to spend the, the uh, Coutinho money, what 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 time frame does Ten Hag need to show progress? And would actually ripping the bandage off and getting rid of a lot of players help to buy some patience from the United fans? I think the fans are quite patient at matches, um, not online. Online's a real problem. You get an extreme reaction when. United drop points in a match. But you, your general point is right. The, the the expectations are now much lower because the team is so bad. Um, every manager's been supported in real life and, and he'll feel that because I don't think Eric Ten Hag's going to be trolling Twitter. He's going to feel a lot of love and support at the stadium. But there's got to be minimum expectations here. 
if United is 17th by December, there's clearly going to be a major problem there. If United are actually showing some shoots of recovery, if a couple of his signings are looking encouraging, he'll be supported all of the way. I think if you ask Manchester United fans and people watching this right now, do you think the team will win the league next year? I think 90% would say no. Do you think the team will be in the top four next year? The percentages are starting to change a little bit because fans are... They tend to be optimistic, especially at the start of the new season with a new manager. And a lot of those players still at the club, they are good players. It's baffling to everyone how bad that they've been uh, this season. This idea of getting rid of everybody. Well, Louis van Gaal tried it and it failed. He had this massive talent purge and he got rid of good players. And at the sign, every single one of them was waved out of the club. Raphael, the right back, Darren Fletcher, Johnny Evans, good players who went for nothing. Johnny Evans was, is a really good player. I'm not saying that he's Vidic or Rio Ferdinand, but I think the fans have got to look at themselves as well as um, an element that just signing new players is somehow going to improve things. It's going to be another plaster, you said, to stick over a problem position. You know, bring Declan Rice in and then that's the midfield sorted. Well, history has shown it doesn't work like that, then it needs to be more than that. And I think one of the things Ralph Rangnick is touching on is United are signing the wrong type of players. And I think he's got a point there. I think I'd more listen to him when he's talking about strategy, although he's not made many decisions. Some fans seem to think that he's this great overseer fire, firing the, the lead scouts. He's not. He's just not. Let's stick to the facts here. He, his primary job is to coach Manchester United's first team. And at the moment, he's not done a good one uh, at that. But he does have good ideas in terms of the type of players which the club should be signing, but he's not going to be the manager. So he's going to have very little influence uh, there. It's going to be on Ten Hag, who is absolutely forming his opinions at the moment. He's in constant contact with, with Manchester United. He's going to be under huge, huge pressure. And he has to start well because... If, if, as I said, he's 17, there's, there's going to be big, big problems, but there'll be support for him and there will be patience for him, especially at Old Trafford. All right. Andy Mitten, editor of United We Stand. Thanks a million for joining us. Thank you very much. Cheers. Andy Mitten there on the line after uh, another tough weekend for Manchester United. It is 9.15 on this Monday morning. You're with us here on OTBAM, which is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Anthony Moyles in studio to review the weekend's football championship action. But before that, here's Paddy Stapleton on Sean Finn being the country's best cornerback. See you in a few. You mentioned Sean Finn there already for me as well, a player that really stood out there right at the end. What sets this guy out from any other cornerback we've seen? Like he, he, he arguably is the best cornerback in the country, not just this year, but the past few years. Oh, well, I think it's four all-stars in a row now, so he kind of hands down probably the best in the country, and he plays on a great team, but he's one of the reasons they're great. Number, like He has a variety of physical assets before we go anywhere else that it's very hard to match because he's low to the ground, but he's very, very strong. He's as probably strong a man as you'll see playing hurling. Um, apart from, and, and you don't think a man as strong as that is going to be a, as pacey. So as fast as a guy as you're going to put in on him, he's still going to be getting there. And you rarely see a ball out the side, a perfect ball, where he's beaten by more than two or three yards to the ball. And then when his opponent has it a corner forward, he's all shoving him out the way. 
his feet are so good he never gets wrong stepped you never see a guy going in past him because his footwork is so good and then I think he's, he looks like he used a 38 inch hurley because we saw it there a couple of times during the match you know the lockdowns he gets in and his timing and his reading of the game are, are second to none so I don't know I, and then that's before he even get his use to the ball which is always top notch so brilliant brilliant hurler FBD Insurance knows this sound spells trouble for van drivers but if you're an existing FBD customer you'll get 15% off a new van insurance policy it's how we're keeping you and your van on the road. Visit fbd.ie or contact your local branch. FBD Insurance. Support. It's what we do. Terms and conditions apply. 15% discount available on new commercial motor policies only when an existing FBD farm, business, car or home policy is in place. FBD Insurance Group Limited, trading as FBD Insurance, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Commercial motor insurance is underwritten by FBD Insurance PLC. This is Sport Ireland Campus. And here is where it all starts. From the little ones learning to the high-performance athletes leading. Here we go to play, to practice, to progress. Here is where communities in the nation come together to compete, to win, and to belong. Here we go to the next level, then on to the world stage. This is Sport Ireland Campus, and here we go. Visit sportirelandcampus.ie to be a part of it. Paddy, they go, what? He goes, Paddy Andrews. And I go, yeah. And she goes, this is James Hills. He's upstairs. Will I get him? <laughs> the Football Pod with Paddy Andrews and James O'Donoghue are bringing the show on the road. The first stop for Ireland's biggest and best GEA pod will be the Royal Theatre in Castlebar on Thursday, June 2nd, as Paddy, James, Tommy and special guests dissect, analyse and celebrate Mayo football, as well as getting stuck into the runners and riders for Championship 2022. Tickets are €20 Euro plus booking fees and are on sale now. See otvsports.com forward slash events for more. FBD Insurance knows this sound spells trouble for van drivers. But if you're an existing FBD customer, you'll get 15% off a new van insurance policy. It's how we're keeping you and your van on the road. Visit fbd.ie or contact your local branch. FBD Insurance. Support. It's what we do. Terms and conditions apply. 15% discount available on new commercial motor policies only when an existing FBD farm, business, car or home policy is in place. FBD Insurance Group Limited, trading as FBD Insurance, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Commercial motor insurance is underwritten by FBD Insurance PLC. OTB AM on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. Yeah, you're welcome back. Just to tell you what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio throughout the day. We've got from one o'clock... Ray Boom Boom Mancini as part of OTB Gold. John Giles' all-time 11 coming up at 3 o'clock and then the Mount Rushmore is on Waterford from 4 o'clock. Jason Quigley then uh, from 6 o'clock and of course Off the Ball is live on your radio as ever from 7 o'clock this evening. Just ask your smart, uh, smart speaker to play OTB Sports Radio and you can of course listen to OTB AM as a radio show live every morning on OTB Sports Radio and the OTB Sports app. Uh, meanwhile, I'm just going to tell you that you can come join the Football Pod Live with Paddy Andrews, James O'Donoghue and special guests. We are going to the Royal Theatre Castle Bar on Thursday, June 2nd in celebration of Mayo football and look at the championship race and much more. That's the Football Pod Live in Castle Bar on June the 2nd. Tickets are on sale now. You can go to otbsports.com forward slash events to get yours today. And you can stay tuned to Off The Ball for details on more shows to come. Uh, we are turning our attention back to the weekend's football. Anthony Moyles is with us in studio. Anthony, how are you getting on? I'm good. Owen, yourself? Yeah, very well. Let's start. Excellent. Say it again. Excellent. Oh, excellent. Sorry. <laughs> uh, let's start with uh, yesterday's game between uh, Donegal and Cavan. This was like one of these where people were like 2020... Is this going to be a significant factor in things or not? Is this just one of those weird COVID results where Donegal kind of bottled it on that day? And I think for the majority of yesterday, there was kind of the sense that Cavan have something that is a bit kryptonite to Donegal. 
Yeah, it probably was. Um, Cavan surprised me. Uh, they played, you know, some great football. They probably belied a lot of, you know, the 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 the, the I suppose the pre-match kind of thoughts on on what they would or wouldn't do. Um, they were very direct. Own right from the throw-in, you could see their intent um, on putting the ball in as quickly as possible. Um, you know, young forward line, but a forward line that had no fear, taking on shots that you know otherwise you might say it's not really a percentage shot, but they just went for it. Uh, they caused Donegal lots of issues with regard to that direct ball, um, a quick transition of the ball from from kind of the half back line, their own half back line into their full forward line, and before Donegal goal could kind of get that blanket set um, they knew they had to try to beat it by kicking the ball so they caused them major problems I thought they were you know extremely unlucky with regard to the two goals two horrible goals two you know massive defensive errors um, that really put a bit of daylight in between the two teams albeit that Donegal probably could have had another couple of goals even one or two in the first half if they just given that extra pass to a man inside so you know Cavan will be happy um, they're brilliantly coached I have to say you know they're very very good I think they, they you know last year was it was a bit of a a low after obviously the highs of the previous year and I think that took its toll but you know he has them back now buzzing um, and he has them back moving well and you know they'll go into that Talton Cup I would I would imagine as as, as, as firm favourites to kind of win it um, I saw them referencing obviously that look you know it's good for the players that in his squad to get as many games um, as possible um, and you know ultimately that's what the Talton Cup is there for so if they can go and win that well then they'll be in fine fettle for next year but you could see how disappointed they were after the game you know they really put a massive effort into it and you know the, the camera switched to McKernan Garol McKernan who's, who's been who was unbelievable yesterday really really good in the second half um, and, and who became a, a you know a massive focal point for them throughout the game and he was just he was absolutely sick because I think they really fancied themselves of taking Donegal and, and I'd say with, with the idea that Donegal Maybe had one eye on the final, um, and they and they could have done it. You know, they were they were they were they were close enough to it, but just not close enough. And you say, Kevin, look really well coached. What do you see in their performance that tells you that? Well, just the way they set up, um, I thought, you know, they they, they, they moved the ball. So, Cavan over the last, if you remember, four, five, three, four, five years ago, Cavan would have been a slow build-up type team as well. You know, quite slow, quite methodical, very lateral, um, lots of fellas behind the ball, that kind of an idea, good inside forwards. But this, I, I, I saw there's been a definite change in the sense of the last number of years, but certainly yesterday, um, where they decided, OK, we just need to get beyond that blanket defence before it, before it reaches its, 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 its end point. So before the likes of you know the various different Donegal players can get back and shore things up, they just kicked the ball long and kicked it very accurately into a full forward line who are fast, pacey and strong. And, you know, they didn't mess about with it then. You know, they took their opportunities when they got Got it. So, look, I mean, the, the fellas just turned, took shots, um, took players on, um, and caused Donegal havoc. Now, really caused them a lot of problems. Like it wasn't until Owen Bon Gallagher went in and picked up Smith in the second half that that kind of really started to show because he was causing absolute mayhem inside and full forward. Big young, big young guy, very good off. Well, look, I mean, he kicked the score off left and right yesterday, but his physical power and just his directness was causing major issues. Um, so there's probably a lesson there. Like teams will look, Monaghan or Derry will kind of look to themselves and say if they get through whoever comes through will say right can that directness cause Donegal more issues now there wasn't 
really any major goal opportunities for Cavan. Like they cracked one off the crossbar, if you remember, and that was probably good really save. yeah, it was a good save. Yeah, exactly. It was it was it was a great save. He just got his hands up and bopped it off. So um, a little bit more composure in that area could it have been a goal. I, I think Cavan needed a goal or two, you know, and Donegal ended up getting them. Cavan definitely needed a goal or two. I think for that to kind of supremacy that they had in that first off, if they'd been four or five maybe ahead, I think that would have been good because they were always going to fatigue a little bit. Um, and and because they were defending and then running so hard and kicking those long balls and trying to get up and support and ultimately nearly giving the kick out away, that was probably my big thing. I, I just thought that that was, that was probably a tactic that they, they, they needed to, 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 to readjust um, because Patton... He's he's really good at getting his kickouts away, but he was getting them off very very easy. And Cavan, they they decided once or twice to push up, and they caused issues. But I think a lot of the time they just said, "Look, we we'll let them get the kick out away, and we'll defend it from about midfield back." Mm. Um, and that's all fine. But you know, when you're when you're constantly facing, you know, the kick out and fellas coming and fellas coming, it can get draining, and it can just really really cause you. And if you don't have the bench then to come in and kind of lift it again, it's tough. You know, rather than kind of if you're winning the ball higher up the pitch from a kick out or whatever it is, and you're putting pressure on them there, you're allowing their defence to have a rest, have a bit of a break. They can take the, you know, they can dictate the speed and the tone of the game, and um, by going lateral or or increasing speed. So I think that was always going to catch them. But look, Cavan can be massively proud of the way they played um, and you know as I said I think Monaghan and or Derry will look and say right can that direct ball um, will that be able to reap rewards for us against that Donegal defence the next day How good are Donegal? How, how deep can they go here? <sighs> I don't think Jared they were in any kind of you know major um Danger of losing the game, you know. After all, I just said there about Cavan. I, I just, I don't think there were. There were one or two. There was a couple of opportunities in the first half. I don't know if you remember, but um, where there was men inside, kind of screaming for the ball. And if an extra hand pass had gone in, they would have walked in one or two goals. So they probably, like, I mean, they end up getting two goals, the two fortuitous goals, I suppose. But they really probably should have had another two goals outside of that, possibly three. So. Um, they they impressed me yesterday. I've been kind of given out about them a bit about this kind of lateral play and where they they run towards the sideline and then the man will cut in from the sideline and just take the ball. And also this kind of play that they were during the, during the league where they're coming out for their, their defence and a man will come to meet the player and essentially nearly take the ball off him from the area that he's already in. Now I didn't see as much of that yesterday. The lines of running that they did they scored some absolutely beautiful points where fellas came at at, at brilliant angles. Um, really really hard really fast and took balls whereby it was nearly impossible for the Cavan man to actually defend it so it's like in basketball where you're screening a player you know so Michael Murphy has the ball a player comes by him very very close to him he pops the pass to him and then screens the defender away it's very very difficult to defend that Um, and they did that on numerous occasions and they did it really really well Um, the second half they learnt big time I think it was a slight subtle change to tactics but what they did in the second half first of all they put Ombong Gallagher back in at full back which was, which was a big move but second half they, they spread their forward line really really wide so they hugged the touch lines and obviously they just put Murphy in full forward so that essentially allowed Murphy to be able to dictate um, and, and be able to call for balls in and they went a bit more direct then because they had him in there so they, they played the ball up to around the full or, or midfield a little bit beyond midfield and then obviously with him inside pointing where he wanted the ball that gave them massive fulcrum um, Mark 
Berti wasn't really doing it uh, in the first half, you know, because it was all very tight and it was all a bit like there was player fellas getting hands in and they knew Cavan would get players back. So essentially what they said second half was, well, well, you're going to try to do that. We're going to spread really far out. So they put McBrerty on one sideline. I can't remember who was on the other corner, but they, they spread the, the play. They made the pitch as big as possible. And then by doing that, of course, it, it separated out the Cavan backs and it, it made those runs and those areas of, of pockets of defence uh, uh, harder to um, uh, clear up. But I think if they if think if they can marry uh, things a bit more, Jer, with regard to being a bit more direct, like people are calling for Murphy to be in full forward. He does an awful lot out around the field. He dictates tempo. Um, he's a big presence out around there. And I think the full forward thing, especially at the start of a game where things are very, very tight, defences are keeping it tight, there's a lot more players back, fellas are obviously fresh. I wouldn't necessarily start him in full forward. I'd wait till you get that kind of game where it's starting to open up, players are starting to tire. Then I'd plonk him in full forward and say, okay, just like what they did yesterday. Yeah. The the own bond thing is, is really interesting because when I look at that piece of analysis, I'm thinking to myself, that's going to hamstring Donegal in some big game this year if he's being brought back. Because like that half-back line, himself, McHugh, Morgan, that's a really like dangerous half-back line for any other team to have a lot to think about. Whereas all of a sudden, if they're losing one of those guys to go back and mark the best inside forward that's going to be something that's going to separate Donegal from the cream of the crop right yeah it is it is because he was excellent yesterday going forward especially in the first half like I mean his his, his ability just to turn the gas on is unbelievable mm. He's kind of, he looks like he's moving fast and then he <laughs> he moves even faster so McHugh I thought was quiet yesterday and McHugh though if you watch it McHugh they kept trying to bring McHugh into the full forward line or into the full back line if you watch him that they were, he was being tagged by certain players and he was being brought in so if you remember the goal chance he was actually in under that high ball with Smith when he won it over over his head so what they tried to do is they tried to tag him and bring him into the full forward line and exploit his obviously his height um, so um, he didn't have as as, as as good a game and Owen Bond obviously picked up the, the slack I thought an awful lot um, for him it is a worry on um, you know they'll probably look at their own full back line and say were they as good and adept at obviously that direct ball in the first half and they weren't um, they 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 had problems and there were there were cause there, there was definitely problems being caused, but you know he's such a he's such a great player um, and he's such a, an important player for them um, that they now have a couple of weeks um, to fix it. But they will be aware, obviously, of both Derry and Monaghan's uh, forward power uh, and especially their full forward power. So they'll realise that look, we need to get that problem fixed asap. A couple of comments in. Uh, Cavan Lad 100 says, I wasn't surprised Cavan started the match the way they did. Donegal got a bit of luck with those two goals. And Stephen Gormley asks, who are Donegal getting in the Ulster final? Does Anthony think? Yeah, I guess, like that's this game. It, it's... it's I would have I would have taught Derry uh, and people will, will obviously fancy Derry after the job they did in Tyrone but I just don't think we spoke about it last week I don't think Tyrone were the outfit that they that they, they were um, or that they are um, few issues there so I think Ty- Derry will the problem will be with Derry is trying to actually put a put a lid on the expectation now uh, there um, decent enough league you know, I think they've been coming. They they were always kind of set up to 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 nab Tyrone. You know, there wasn't a lot a lot of talk about them. People were saying, "Oh, yeah, they're playing well," but Tyrone will be a step ahead. So there was always that opportunity. Monaghan will have had a good look at them now and be able to see, okay, 
their halfbacks, uh, you know, the issue that five and seven caused Tyrone running hard. Obviously, McInnes, the same thing. What can we do there? We need to pin them back. And as we said last week, Monaghan will get back and they'll just say, right, we're just going to set you. We're just going to get ready for you to run in here. And when you run in here, we're going to we're going to take the ball off you. Monaghan are very, very good at doing that. Um, and Monaghan, listen, they've been there, thereabouts. We all know anytime they're written off, they come back, they bounce back. Um, very, very strong team as well. Very methodical team and a very well coached team so um, to be honest with you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reserve my judgement on that one until later in the week if that's ok <laughs> Absolutely no problem it's going to be a cracker of a game this Sunday um, let's talk about Kerry against Cork Parky Rin on Saturday evening a little bit of a disagreement between myself and Ger about where exactly this leaves Kerry in terms of I guess their momentum or do you make them heavier favourites or softer favourites for the All-Ireland as a result of Saturday for me it's kind of about the same like I mean they struggled for 15 minutes and then they showed their squad depth is to be believed the hype is real about the, the squad that they have this year but there are still relatively familiar concerns about how Cork did manage to shut down that attack in, in that first I guess 40 to 50 minutes of the game Yeah um, I think there's a few things to look into in, in, in the game Um you know, I think I think Kerry will be Kerry were always going to be set up for that game in the sense of was it quite good enough, right? Because Cork, everyone was was kind of dismissing Cork. Um, everyone knows Cork are on a different transition and you know at a different stage in development, um, whatever that means. But they just they they're at it, right? So a lot of things being spoken about, even in the papers beforehand. It was all kind of talk about Cork and the amount of clubs that they have and the amount of money that they have and then the issues that they have and all kind of and and I'd say Kerry people were happy enough because it was very little talk, a little bit of stuff on Clifford, obviously, and 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 the fact that he's going to have to carry the team well I don't think he has to carry the team necessarily anymore so to look at it from a Kerry point of view you know uh, Cork did very very well obviously had a plan Powter came in and then they obviously dropped Maguire in so they packed the defence um, they focused on a number of players they focused on the two Cliffords um, Paddy Clifford was man marked throughout the game um, literally Cork fella went wherever he went he went with him and they identified that listen this guy is the quarterback of the forward setup, so we need to make sure that he is stopped from putting the ball in and they did a very very good job on that they did an gr- excellent job obviously on Clifford inside well and once of course they, they, they started to affect the, the ball coming in it was always going to be more difficult for him inside um, so they did a good job there O'Shea was, was, was although he, I think he ended up with 10 or 11 scores but he didn't have the same influence but of course Kerry have so much prowess at the front you can't you can't plug all the holes so Stephen O'Brien then was kind of not left free but they were let's just say less attention put on mm. him and of course he had an unbelievable first half like he carried the fight for Kerry massively so um, caused Corks all sorts of problems um, so that defensive structure is all fine again but as I said to you kind of a la the, the Cavan and Donegal game you then have to bring that transition from your full back line up to your midfield into your forward line um, and although the forwards like Sherlock um, and I think it's O'Mahony was it uh, yeah, the, yeah um, kicked some unbelievable scores and caused issues there were still scores where there was two or three Kerry lads around them if you get me you know so they had to do a lot of kind of individual stuff not not very intricate um, a lot of a lot of just brilliant play from range them. a lot of them a lot of them from range exactly so what that tells you is is that well we've 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 12 players behind the ball but you two or three lads up there whatever you get you're going to have to make the most of it nearly yourself right so that's not a that's not a long term game plan of course so I think it's seven points all 
Cork had come really back into it well. Um, and and I just thought this is a time now to change your kick out strategy. This is a time to really push up and and try to impact the kick out at least because a lot of the kick outs, you know, it, it, it was kind of maybe four against six. In other words, four Cork men against six Kerry lads, you know, or or kind of six against eight. So they always had a bit of an advantage because of Powter coming back. Now he was trying to push up and then squeeze squeeze another man higher, but Kerry got their kick outs away relatively easy. Um, and I just thought there was an opportunity for them there to change it and be even braver I suppose so when they got it to that because again it wasn't a long term plan which was just to allow them to, to pretty much have the kick out um, so from from a Kerry perspective first half bit bit you know edgy uh, a little bit off kilter trying to get used to the fact of this kind of defensive plan um, but then in the second half obviously they said okay we'll try to work this out a bit more Cork started to kind of wane a bit and there's still a lot of football to be played from the 50th minute to about the 70th or the 75th minute like it's still a massive amount of football and it's a period of time where you can do major damage which of course they did do um, so the bench helped obviously you know uh, fellas came on but you could see Cork start to wane I think Geeney got a score in the second half I don't know if you remember where he basically just stepped inside um, the space then, yeah, yeah the midfielder for Cork was just you could see he was just out on his feet He, he and he was kind of one on one and he just stuck inside and stuck it over the bar and it was kind of a real it was a real score of right well that's it it's done I don't. I don't think the, the 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 referee helped Cork. Now, to be honest with you, I thought I thought the referee in, in it was 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 very pro Kerry. I thought some of the tackling and the intensity in the first half was what you want from a championship match. But you know, it's the first time I've seen a fella bring up a ball two or three times in a game, and I don't think he was being effed and blinded out of it. I think Cork players were disappointed in say that the free had been given and shown that disappointment. But he brought the ball up two or three times to put it in scoring range for O'Shea. Um, I thought some of his some of his decisions just around the field helped massively helped Kerry in a very very important time of the game from about fifty minutes to about fifty five fifty six minutes and there was a couple of times where Cork had bodies around Kerry and I thought there was some just just handy enough freeze that ended yeah. up Kerry and just gave them that, that little bit of daylight now they probably would have I'm not saying they wouldn't have won the game they, they were starting to power on but it just gave them that little bit of added impetus um, so I like I, I'm kind of I, I heard you with Jer earlier on I think I think there's 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 both of you are correct in the sense of Jer is right uh, there is an enormous amount of quality here the defensive structure as we spoke about which was my big bugbear over Kerry last year that is now very much sorted um, there was a couple of occasions by the way where Cork ran down through that middle mm. um, Brian Hurley there was one occasion where he kind of looked like yeah something. yeah, and the midfielder um, sorry he slips my mind the, the number 9 went down twice it was straight down through the middle where he put a bit of pace on it. now he ended up being crowded out by Cork or Kerry players but if he only had a man to slip a ball to so that hasn't happened during the league they've, re- they've been relatively solid with Morley at that 6 but for some reason they, they had gaps there um, so they'll definitely have a look at that but I think overall there wasn't really a massive panic they, they weren't in danger of conceding any goals and again a lot of the scores that came were long rangy really really good scores they were sloppy a couple of times and a few fouls Foley kind of slipped and kind of tackled a few guys twice and they give some simple freeze away but He'll be happy enough. I think the undercook thing is is important that you spoke yeah. about. That that's that's an important point. You know they'll 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 win the Munster final at a canter. You would imagine, um, and then they'll go into Crow Park four weeks off after that. Yeah, it's a long time. 
it's a long time, you know, and no matter what you do with A's versus B games, I think they would have rathered if this was flipped, if they had Cork in the Munster final, because at yeah. least, you know, that was 50 minutes of a good battle and they were in the battle. Um, I can't really see it being, although, you know. But it's going to be Clarny for the Munster final. So that, that, that is a big factor. They haven't lost since the middle of the 90s there. Yeah. Going to Parky in the Munster final, regardless of the opposition going on the road would have been a bit tougher it would have been a bit tougher you know and it would have set them up a bit you know with that battle you know being steely hard but so so but look they should have enough on for whoever it is in the quarter final they they're, they're still massive favorites that with the with the, with the forward prowess they have because look you can as i said you can you can, it's like a dam bursting you can put as many kind of holes up as you can and kind of fix things but eventually someone's going to come out of the woodworks and get you yeah, can I just add, like on a, on a general sort of kick out point, and this kind of goes for, for kind of every match really, where the opposition gives you the short kick out, and it, it felt like Tyrone did, gave it to Kerry last year to an extent, where they kind of had the midfield battle won, but they were also taking the short kick out because Tyrone were essentially leaving their cornerbacks free. Cork did the same thing, and I couldn't tell you how well or otherwise Shane Ryan played because he didn't have to make any saves, and he just gave the ball to the cornerback every time. Is there an argument to be made sometimes that even though both your cornerbacks are free? to just boot it out the pitch anyway because you know there's a reason why they're giving you the cornerbacks is because they don't trust their men out the middle of the pitch. Maybe it's only something you do if you're chasing a game or, or, you're, or you're a few points down. Maybe not when you're eight, nine points up. But I felt like they could have done it to, uh, to Tyrone last year. They could have tested out midfield a little bit more and maybe they could have done it to Cork as well on Saturday. Yeah, it's probably a, it's an option where you could do, or what you what you can do is if you if if you're feeling that way, is just bring your two or your four and put them out around midfield. Yeah. <laughs> so actually make it make it equalise it back out around around the middle. Um, so that's that's probably an option to do. But a lot of times, if it's there, and obviously you know the, the Kerry backs are so comfortable on the ball anyway you know you just you just flick it out to them and say right we'll just take it on from here It just feels that it gets very slow then that all of a sudden Cork have their bodies on, on your 45 and then there's a, an extra bank of defenders there and that's where Kerry really struggle in attack at the moment just trying to, to pick the holes in a, in a, in a yeah, it, it, it can it can do, um, and and you're right. It, it does get tricky. But what you're going to have to just think of is is a lot of times, and and this this happens a lot. And you could see it in the Cavan Donegal game for one of the goal chances that Donegal got in the first half. Um, what happens is you'll come forward with the ball it'll be slow and kind of methodical you'll try to get it into the full forward line and say someone say there's two or three players around Clifford and next thing you know all the Cork players break right they win the ball and they break and they come up the far end of the field if you win that ball as a Kerry player yeah. where they're attacking now they've all vacated or a good few of them vacated there's less of a structure in your defence and that's where you can actually make hay so the vital thing for a team if you're defending against that is that if you win the ball you make sure that it goes dead the far end do not make sure do not w- turn the ball over again because what will happen is your two or your four or your full back or whatever it is your 10 or 12 will now be out of position because fellas will be trying to get back up the pitch to get a score if you don't get a score or as, or as i say at least kick it wide you're now caught because a quick ball back in and there's mayhem now in your own defence. You're not set up as, as well as you would have. That's why Cluxton was so good for Dublin. Because when teams would would turn Dublin over and get a score, he had the ball down and he was gone. He, w- he was kicking the ball over you as you were retreating back. And that's why he, Dublin got so many big, big scores after a team actually scored against them. You get a point, they'll end up getting a goal on you because your defensive structure is not set up. So, you know, a lot of teams, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky one. But the one thing you have to make sure, and I'm sure like all the, the, the coaches and the analysts and whatever else involved in teams say that if we do something like that, if you crowd out Kerry, 
and you end up winning the ball and you turn over Clifford, you make sure you can either do one of two things. You either set it and, you know, kind of nearly take the pace back out of it, hold on to the ball, or you attack quickly, but you make sure that the ball goes dead. Last question before we let you go. Rory Larmer here asks, Leinster semi-predictions, do Meath have any chance? We're almost out of time, so could you give me a percentage on Meath's possibility of winning? Yes, they have a chance. (laughs) I'm not in the percentage mode at the moment I, I think at the moment they've at least uh, 40% right okay mm. okay so a double header of two and contests and that could have that improved during the week yeah okay yeah. nice one a nice bit of mead confidence looking forward to it it's not just Kildare who can topple Dublin this year there's an absolute life possibility that it could be that's a clear top. top well, of look, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it later in the week, but I think the the Dublin game against Westford will have taught Dublin absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, and it's a relatively small full back line for Dublin. Um, so I think there's an area there that 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 me could make uh, hay if they want to. Very interesting, Anthony. Thanks for popping in this morning. No OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. You can follow off the ball across all our social platforms and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the OTB Sports app to enjoy the latest and best in sports content and analysis. OTBAM back live from half past seven tomorrow with Emer and Ailish Considine, Daniel Harris, Anthony Nash, and much more. Right now, we are leaving you with the best bits from OTB. Sports' packed weekend of sport. Enjoy and see you tomorrow.